This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking The Goldfinch. This book won a Pulitzer? It's an antique. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Good after evening? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back to other fun movie topics. This is episode 377, 377. Ooh, 377. We're getting really close to a milestone here. Yeah, we should, uh, <laughs> we haven't talked about that at all. <laughs> we should really do something. <laughs> Uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this week we're talking The Goldfinch. Hey! The latest film from... Yes? I completely forgot the... From director <laughs> John Crowley. I was oh. like, John something? I was like, uh, I think this is the first time that the the author has been adapted. But... John, Johnny Boy? Johnny yes. Boy, yeah. But Johnny. yes, it, it, we'll get to all that. But yes, we're talking talking The Goldfinch, which which made a whopping $2.6 million this weekend at the box. I was scoring hey, number that's eight. more money than my bank account. Well, there you go. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into that because I do think there's something important to talk about when it comes to movies that are presumed um, kind of uh, award contenders. And I, I think there's a conversation to be had there as far as what to, what what's being seen versus what's being put out there. But regardless, let's get into it. Uh, joining us today to discuss The Goldfinch and plenty of other things we have from Why So Blue. He personally restored the antique chair he's sitting on for this podcast is Peter Paris. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm good. It's uh, it's hot in L.A. Uh, it's my least favorite time of being in L.A. is these couple months. But <laughs> but besides that, good. Yes. You hate the summer in L.A. Got it. All right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's true. It's, yeah. I, I mean, who knows? I, I got to say, even though I'm from Chicago, um, when I moved to L.A., that really became a thing where it was like I was already a pretty big movie person. But like there are definitely movies probably 10 years ago or something that I would go like on a weekend, I'd be like, I'm just gonna go see this because it's air conditioned. Like I just hate. Yeah, I can't think of a specific thing, but they were. Oh, man, this yeah. sounds like Castle Rock. Just Wait, like hot in the summertime, and then you just go to the theater for a nickel. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was just like, I don't care what the. I just want to be in air conditioning. Like, uh, so yeah. And that's how Peter got into movies. I like how Peter never has a Chicago accent until he says the word Chicago. Wait. Do I? Ha- Wait. I don't think I do have an accent. I'm saying you don't, it, you, do, you don't have one unless you say the word Chicago. Only Chicago no. sounds like you have a Chicago accent. Everything else you say doesn't. Wow, that's weird. I, I think I, I know. I was waiting for you to say it again so I could listen in. <laughs> Chicago? Is that... I'm not, now I'm a little... I'm, no, I'm, now you're, now you're, now yeah, you're now questioning you're on the spot. it. Yeah. yeah, like... Huh. It's okay. It's okay. It'll come up later. Right? Yeah. When we talk about the New York Met. Um, anyway... <laughs> let's uh let's see some show notes here uh first up new commentary track scott mendelson brandon peters and i recorded a commentary track for first blood the first rambo film starring sylvester stallone in honor of the upcoming rambo cole and last blood uh, so yeah that was a lot of fun we packed a lot of info in that commentary track a lot of a lot of fun to go through so uh, check that one out it's on itunes now speaking cool. of itunes reviews and ratings it's great to get those you can log on to our page at uh, on iTunes, search for out now out there and anybody to do so, and uh, give us a rating and review. That'd be great. Thank you so much, in advance. Yeah. All right, let's just get, let's get to some know everybody. For each week, we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast. I better get to know everybody. It's good. Pretty good here. Got a question for you guys. Uh huh. When uh, you go to the museum, was there always like an exhibit that you liked? Yes. 
Do you want to say it here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because um, I'm from Chicago. Aaron, you've made him swing too far to that. Right. <laughs> um, there's uh, the Art Institute, which is the largest um, museum uh, in, uh, or art museum, I guess, uh, in, that, in the city. Uh, I think it's Surratt. Um, the Sunday in the park. It's the one where I'm sure you guys have seen it's, it's all, it's, uh, it's kind of pixelated. It's all, it's, uh, dots. The dots is what makes up hmm. like it's tiny dot. I mean, if you look it up like Sunday in the park or whatever, you'll see, but yeah. like, it's unlike the movie we're going to discuss. It is a huge canvas. I mean, it's like the size of a wall. And so as a kid, like seeing that, and I think it's just like a Parisian street or something, but, but, or no, 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 sorry, no, it's a park, sorry. Um, but it's really big. Um, but yes, I would, I, as a kid, that was always one of my favorite that I would like, you know, when school trips or whatever that I would want, look forward to seeing. Cool. Um, yeah, one, Aaron? I'm trying to think of ones that, like, I, this leads into my question too, but this, I'm trying to think of ones. If, where... if you can't think of it, I'll go and then it'll give you more time. No, like, I'm, I'm obsessing it out. Like, there's mm-hmm. just things I like to see when I go to certain museums. And, like, I'm a big fan of space and, like, NASA and things mm-hmm. like that. So when I go to space museums, uh, like, it's I find it just neat to see, like, actual things that were in space, such as, like, you know, pieces of a shuttle or a module or what have you. Um, so, like, that tends to be, like, my go-to as far as things. And, like, there's certain artists that I, like, you know, appreciate more than others. So, like, if there's, mm-hmm. like, Van Goghs in certain art museums, like, I want to see those or what have you. Mm-hmm. Wow, you're you're uh, the classy gentleman here. I, you know, people, <laughs> people, people are going to throw some paint in the wall. I'm going to look at it. <laughs> All <laughs> right, Jack Symbolic. No, I, I definitely, there was a, we used to go to the Metropolitan Art in my hometown, and there was always a dinosaur exhibit. And that thing rocked my world all the time because, you know, who, which kid isn't into dinosaurs when you're like five, six, seven, eight kind of thing. And you I'm see into that these, too, definitely. Yeah, you see like these animatronic moving dinosaurs. You know, as an adult now, they probably weren't that big. And also the heads moved probably just two inches one way and then two inches the other way. But man, as a kid, it, just, it was like my favorite spot to go. Uh, so whenever we had a field trip there, all of us knew where we were going first, which is just like that room with the Stegosaurus and also like a little, uh, like I think I want to say it was like a, like a mini like T-Rex mini because it obviously couldn't be like 15 feet high. It was probably just like five feet high, but still it was, it was pretty awesome. One of those classic mini T-Rexes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was it like size. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, my question is what famous museums have you been to? Famous museums? Hmm, that's a great question. There's actually one in Taiwan where it, it's like it's just like the uh, the National, I think it's called the National Taiwan Museum or something like that. But what's cool about it is at the top of the place you have to take you have to like rotate through the the floors. Um, in stone, and I want to say that it's in like jade, like different colors of jade. There's like a piece of pork and there's like a, a cabbage or something like that that people have chiseled out. And those are, like, uh, super wildly popular. That room is just super wildly popular. And so you have to, like, fight with hordes of tourists to go and try and just see, like, these really small things. I'm sure that it's sort of uh, sort of related to, like, the Louvre when you, everyone's fighting to go see the Mona Lisa. And the Mona Lisa is, like, a 12 by 12 painting kind of thing. Yeah, and everyone's all, like, jumping on their shoulders and it's disorganized because that's how the French are. <laughs> <laughs> We've just lost our two French listeners. Uh, yeah, sorry. but Jay's like, he's right. 
<laughs> Jay always is on our side. Thank you, Jay. Peter? Well, I, actually, yeah, I have been to the Louvre, um, which was that's like the biggest museum I think you've ever been to. Like, that's insane. Um, and, and I was only there for a day or whatever, so I'm sure I missed you get Everyone gets to, like, ride the elevator to the top and slide down the pyramid part, right? That's a thing people do? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, okay, I thought so. You get, like, a rug. I think that's only uh, Professor Robert Langdon. Right, you, get a, right. you get a rug, though. You get a rug to sit on, so it's, like, a fair. Oh. Um, I've been to the Louvre. I've been to the – in New York, I've been to the Met, the Guggenheim. Um, oh, I, there, I saw a famous <laughs> shootout happen there of Clive Owen in that movie. Yes, that's true. I feel like those are probably the – big ones I, I don't know i mean i've also been to other ones but like probably the louvre that's pretty big yeah like like historically like famously and also you know geographically big um so yes that's probably the biggest one i've been to i've been to a lot of museums um i have not been to continental europe so i have not been to the, the louvre um i went to england a long time ago so i don't remember if i've actually been to like any famous like london london museums um i have been to israel where i did go to the holocaust museum they have there which is oh. It's a it's quite the experience because it's it's made to be quite like massive and all encompassing of everything involving the Holocaust. So you really can't like see like everything in a day. That said, I I went there twice during my trip to Israel because my dad joined me later on and he wanted to obviously he wanted to go as well. So I've certainly gotten my share of quite the, uh, you know, exhibits uh, concerning the Holocaust. Um, D.C., um, I've been to all the Smithsonian's which mm -hmm. I love. Like, I'm so fascinated by all the stuff that goes that, that they have there. And I know they've only expanded since I've, it's been like probably over a decade at this point since I last been to DC. Um, yeah. but like the air, like I mentioned, Dave, the space stuff. So the air and space, air and space museum. Yeah. That was, that was a great terrific. museum. Yeah. Yeah. Where they, uh, where they actually have like, um, like, uh, the shuttle, right? Yes. Among many other things. Like, like was this pre or, or post 2003's Columbia? Poor. The only reason why I ask is because I went post, and what they say is like, you know, the the thing that really hurt the pre. shuttle. Was, I'm gonna say pre, yeah. Yeah, because like post, it was really devastating here that the size of the tile that hit it is like it's it's fairly large, but also it's like it's also fairly small, mm -hmm. and it was just like it's incredible just how much it's it's incredibly you know, I, I guess depressing, uh, but it's a. Uh, you know, you learn from your mistakes kind of thing. So it's kind of like, a, wow, it was an experience. So it's great. For sure. But yeah, the National Mall was certainly like a really cool like place to go to in general for all the different. And it's because it's all like free. Like that's the crazy thing. You just go. <laughs> you yeah. just go there and just walk in and see all this amazing stuff. Um, I have not been to New York City, but I have been to Chicago. Uh, and I've, I've been to I the... I believe it's pronounced uh, Chicago. I've been to like Chicago. And um, I've been to the, uh, the Chicago Museum of Art. Is that hmm. what it's called? Like the... Peter, so it's the, the art museum there. Well, no, the, no, I think it's just the Chicago Art Institute. Chicago, okay, there it is. Oh. Um, so yeah, I've, they have a lot of great stuff there, including that one oh. painting that um, that Cameron and Ferris Bueller stares at, and then like it cuts yeah. back and forth between him oh, and that, that oh, painting. That's it. Wait, that's it. <laughs> yeah, Bueller, that's the one I was talking about. Yeah. Oh. So, oh, okay. So you guys have uh, both been to the museum from Ferris Bueller. I remember seeing that and be like, oh yeah, that's this museum. <laughs> Did you wear sunglasses and tilt your head to the side? Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, that is, yes, that's the painting I was thinking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I saw that big bean they have out there too. The metallic one? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that we were listing off more museums, but, you know, I have been to more museums as well. I just want to let the listeners know that I'm not an uncultured swine. I mean, I just wanted to throw out those because those are ones that, like... <laughs> are you uncultured see. swine? <laughs> all right. With all that said, that's how you play. No, Nobody. Everybody. Let's move on now. Let's get this about the quickies. DM.
Each week, I'll move to it. Talk about what we week. That's all. Okay, quickies. That's trademarked. All right. Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? I saw the first minute, maybe two minutes, of uh, Blended by the Light, and I haven't finished it. What does that mean? <laughs> I saw the part where he's growing up, and I was like, you know, this movie deserves my full attention. So I, I have to go back and finish it with full attention. All right. <laughs> Peter, what have you seen recently? Uh, I saw, well, the movie we're going to talk, and uh, I also saw uh, Hustlers. Oh, okay. And um, what else is I, anything else I've seen recently? Uh, I'm, oh, well, but in uh, anticipation, well, I saw Ad Astra, but we're not going to talk about that. But How dare you? But I started watching The Lost City of Z um, that it seems like everybody I know loves. Okay. So there you go. Um, I don't know if there's anything else big. I mean, I think the last time I talked to you guys, I was on a um, – did I mention I was on the kick for uh, watching The Crown? So I'm, I'm almost done with it. So. I've been watching that too, yeah. It's, it's great. Uh, yeah, I like the way that they – I mean, it, it's very cinematic. I think, you know, Netflix – that's definitely one of like, the, the series that Netflix is uh, – Kudos to them for. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's one of the ones that wins them Emmys. So yeah, they're they're coming yeah. to that series. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but I feel like yeah, I mean, I've been sort of in a uh, besides some of the movies that I've been getting to review, I've been in sort of in a game mode lately. So mm-hmm. there have been a lot of big releases, and there's a new Zelda or a remake of a Zelda game coming out next week that I'm excited about. So I, I feel bad that I have not been caught up. On, like, I used to be, even when I didn't have the system, I'd still be caught up on Zelda games. Like, I was in college, so I played um, Twilight, Twilight Princess. I played Twilight Princess at my at my friend Ken's house. Um, oh. Then I got a Wii when, um, what's the cel-shaded one? Uh, uh, Wind not Waker. Cell, not, yeah, not Wind Waker. No, sorry, not cel-shaded, but more cartoonish. Skyward Sword. That's, that's oh, Skyward Sword. You know, that's the only Zelda I never finished. Oh. Like what? Breath of the Wind came out. It's like this looks fantastic. Well, that's, and that's like I don't, but I don't have a Switch, so I'm not getting this oh, anytime so soon. Good. Yeah, you, yeah, Breath of the Wild is yeah, it's fantastic. Wait, what's I've the been, name of the new Zelda that's coming out? It's a Link's. I think it's Link's Awakening. It's a it's, remake it, of Link's Awakening, right? Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Yeah, it's okay. just the, but just the graphics. I that's another one where, and that was a really long time ago. So I don't know if I ever really played that one. Hmm. I mean, for me, Zelda was more once you get to. Um, Ocarina of Time, the 3D ones I played. I'm the same way. Once that that's like out, that's what I started ever. Yeah. Um, so Link's Awakening is like a top-down view, but with really great graphics now. But um, but I have a Switch, and I barely ever use it because there's not really a lot of titles. So I am like, oh, I want to check this out. Like, hmm. so, yeah, yeah, I've been behind on game. There's no time anymore. <laughs> like, well, yeah, totally. For for you younger podcast listeners out there. Thing responsibilities like creep up on you. You can't just you can't just be sitting at home like Peter Paris, the youngest of us by th- by forty years, and you know just to sit around playing games all the time. Some of us have you know Peter's minus do. eight. Yeah, that's how that's all he is. Uh, you can't tell. I've seen a few things this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's another movie that came out this week called Freaks. Um, mm-hmm. It is a I'm gonna say I'm not gonna say much like Fast Color, but it is a kind of superhero drama in the same vein as far as it's not based off a comic property and it's much lower budget. It stars Emile Hirsch, uh, Bruce Dern, and um, there's a young actress who plays Emile Hirsch's daughter. And I should have this in front of me, but I don't, so I apologize. Um, her name is Lexi Collar Colker. Um, it concerns like a world where like superheroes have like just been discovered and the government's trying to figure out how to do that. But the film is mainly told from like a pr- perspective of Emil Hirsch and his daughter who live in their house in isolation because they don't want to be caught. 
and it's it's quite neat. I don't think it entirely delivers on what it's trying to set up, but I do think it's worth a watch because I I was intrigued by how it was set up, how it reveals things to you, and the use of powers. Like it's neat to see how they kind of develop this world. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so if we're keeping track, as far as non-comic book superhero movies that come from a lower budget go, Fast Colors on top, Bright Burns in the middle, and Freaks is on the bottom, but still good. So there you got go. it. Yeah. Also, yeah. Fast Color. I've got to go check that oh, out. Well, yeah. stuff, Fast Color. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it's really yeah. good. Um, another movie I saw a few weeks ago, but it finally came out this week, is called Monos. Um, this film is very good. Uh, it's set in an unnamed Latin American location. It involves a group of kids, like child soldiers, who live in the mountaintops, um, and they have they have some they have an American kidnapped, yeah. um, and that's really all the content. You're just kind of thrown yeah. into this story. This trailer looks intense and fantastic. It is well, the movie's fantastic. It has yeah. breathtaking cinematography, just like the way it's presented to you because they're on location and people have not been able to film here before, so you're really like seeing a lot of this stuff for the first time from a cinematic mm-hmm. level. Uh, you get that. You have this cast of mostly non-actors. The most known at beyond um, uh, Ju- Julian Nicholson, Nicholson, she plays the the captive American. Um, but uh, Moises Arias, he's mm-hmm. like one of the kids. He's been like mean, he started on like Hannah Montana, but he's since gone on to like do other things. Oh, wow. he, he was in Ender's Game. He was in the movie The Kings of Summer. Like, and, I mean, so he's a younger actor, but like he's the he's like the only like recognizable person among the kids that are in this group. And you get a, I mean, it's a. It's a terrific, like, put together, well put together feature as far as seeing these lands and seeing how these kids are interacting. There's a lot of, you can, you can call to mind, like, Lord of the Flies pretty obviously just because of how young these kids are versus what they're doing. But it's more intense because they have guns and they're, you know, actual soldiers. Um, But the film has a great, like, sense of focus for how to portray that. It's well put together. It has a a Mika Levy score, um, who did the score for Under the Skin, which, Peter, you're a huge fan of. I am. As well as Jackie, which Abe and I are huge fans of as well. Uh, Yeah. She should have won Best Actress. I am also fan of that, too. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, so the score, the cinematography, the work done to make the story, like, put together, it's just really... How how long is the movie? It's under two. It's like an hour 40, I think. Oh, wow. That's short. I I was thinking, like, it's going to be, like, a two-hour movie or something. No, yeah. It's it's pretty pretty quick for what it's doing, and it's just (laughs) stunning to watch watch and I, so i like i finally put together my review this week and just thinking back it's like this movie had a lot of great things i really liked about it and i got the score and it's like this is a great score like it really got me pumped like writing about it while listening to it at the same time cool um so yeah that's monos it's out in limited release now i hope it expands a little further especially because i see like the poster which is one of the best posters of the year like on like regular movie theaters i'm like is it gonna come to like this theater because that'd be cool like i want people to see this movie <laughs> There's a couple other things. I think we get to it when we get to what's um, coming out on Netflix and Prime because there's some cool stuff there that Abe and I certainly want to make note of. Um, mm-hmm. So that's enough quickies. Tim, let's move on. Now. Let's get to our trailer talk this week, where we talk about some of the newest movie trailers, when they're coming out, what we thought of them, and what have you. And there's a couple trailers I wanted to get to this week that uh, they've had earlier trailers, but uh, well, actually they both just had recently new release trailers as well. But first up is Ford v Ferrari: Attorneys at Law. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Can you uh, by uh, Murdoch and uh, and what's his face? Yeah, exactly. Frogger. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, this is the new James Mangold film. It stars Matt Damon and Christian Bale as uh, two two men that are working for the Ford company in an effort to kind of take on Ferrari and his machine and beat him in a race or what have mm-hmm. you. All this kind of stuff. Uh, Peter, what do you think of this trailer? It's okay. Like I. I I mean the opening of the new the new trailer um, with the little 
the fisticuffs is kind of nice. But um, I, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I'm kind of a fan growing up of uh, Coppola's uh, Tucker, the man in his dreams. I know it's not considered one of his great movies or whatever, but I always liked it. And it's weird because I'm watching this movie and I'm like, oh, OK. So, like, they're kind of expanding. In, in, as I recall, the first trailer is really big with the, tra- the you know, with the visuals and the racing. And this one, it's a little more with the politics, I guess. And I don't, I don't know. I, of course, hope it's good. Um, although, I, although full disclosure, I'm not a huge. Uh, is it Mangold? Is that his last name? Yeah. Um, I like Walk the Line. I liked but didn't love Logan. So I'm, I guess I'm not like, oh, this is a master filmmaker who's going to take on this great historical thing. I'm kind of like, ah, we'll see. Like, um, but, but I mean, of course, it's a really good cast and everything. But uh, it feels like the kind of thing that I'm looking forward to seeing on a big screen. But I didn't, I don't know. I, I wasn't like, I wasn't super, it didn't super grab me or anything. Uh, for You know what, for one thing, and then I'll, uh, and this, has, this necessarily has to do with the new trailer as much as the concept, is that like, I like the idea when they're in the diner and I think Bale is like, wait, so you're supposed to, you're, you guys, Ford wants to beat Ferrari and you're, you're going to build, Ford's going to build a car and how much time is that going to take? And in my head, cause I know nothing about racing except for what I learned in days of thunder. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, like I'm what? like, wait, my first impression was like, okay, wait, I'm like, is the, is the challenge that, when we think of a Ferrari, it's a super, it's low, it's low center of gravity. It's a super, um, this is so much. I just want to, I want to know what you think of the trailer. <laughs> no, I like it. <laughs> I like how your, I like how your background is just days of thunder. One of like the most like non real racing things ever. Well, I know, but, but just, great score in days of thunder. It's stock cars. And so in this, I'm kind of like, well, wait, so basically Ford just has a lot of money and they can make another cool looking car. I was like, that's not really that exciting. I thought it would be like, well, you have to have a normal Ford-looking uh, a off-the-factory <laughs> car versus Ferrari. I'm like, how would you do that? And I'm like, oh, well, then you just give all this money. That's not that impressive. Uh, anyway, so I've talked too long. I'm sorry. Hey, no. what do you think of the trailer for this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, uh, I haven't seen the new one that you guys were referring to, but the first one has an opening shot of uh, uh, Sunset, and I want to say that, you know, I don't know who's the cinematographer in this, but I'm hoping that it's uh, going to be beautiful, just like the rest of that uh, that shot there. With that um, being said, I'll say it's uh-huh. Fidon Papa Papa Michael. Pop, yeah, that's a that's a name. Fidon Papa go. Michael, who did Nebraska of all things. Oh wow! Okay, Among many things, nice. yes. He's, uh, he's, uh, he looks like he's done most of Alexander Payne's films. That I'm looking Got at. it. Yeah, as well as James Mangold, he did Walk the Line as well, and Three Three Ten to Yuma, and Night and Day. So yeah, he's James Mangold's guy he's, apparently. He's, yeah, he's, he seems to be the go-to guy for James for Jimmy. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Man. But the cinematography looks good. Uh, the acting, I just can't. Or, Matt Damon, I think, is like a, a pretty decent actor, but I just I'm waiting for Christian Bale to just blow him off the screen, kind of thing. Um, as far as like the storyline goes, okay, you know. It, it the story that I'm sort of familiar with and racing is fine, but I'm curious to see how they're going to do some of the racing shots. Cause I think that's the only thing that's really holding me back from this trailer is just trying to look at, uh, it looks like maybe some CG stuff that I, I can't quite place, but I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. Um, as far as it goes in total, I'm not crazily thrilled, but at the same time, it seems like everyone's loving it from all the reviews that I've been seeing on, on Twitter. I, um, I think it looks pretty good. I, I like I tend to like James Mangold's films quite a bit, and mm-hmm. uh, he's got a good cast here, and you have Damon and Christian Bale in the lead. I think what I'm seeing though is 
I mean, I'm happy that this movie's out there and it's an adult drama, you know, with, you know, a cool concept and it's probably going to look great and play great. I just, the idea of escalating it to like, well, this has to be an Oscar caliber film makes me think, man, we are really like, <laughs> we, we're really stretching it when it comes to like what needs to have Oscars. Like just because this exists, it needs to be an Oscar contender. So, All right. I, I, I just think it looks like a solid movie in the same way that Rush looked like a solid and was. Like I think Rush. I, Rush I, I, was terrific. So, yeah. Well, side, Rush. Yeah. I side, sight unseen. I would yeah. say, I mean, I can't tell you if this is going to be better or worse than Rush. But Rush to me was like, yeah, it's a very good movie. And if it got like sound Oscars, that would have been terrific. Stupid Lone Survivor canceled it out. But still, <laughs> I. <laughs> I. Forgot about that. Because there was Lone Univers- Survivor's an Academy Award-winning movie. Universal made a push for Lone Survivor in the nominations as opposed as opposed to their other movie, which was Rush. Uh, yeah, like, I can't quite recall right now if it won. I don't think it won Best. Okay, okay. But, like, as long as it didn't win. But it's because that that movie got in for the nomination. <laughs> Look how rude we are. We're just like, as long as it didn't win, <laughs> we're like making we're such jerks. But what what I'm what I'm getting at is though, Rush is like this is a solid movie made for like adults to see at this time of year. And that's what Ford and First Ferrari looks like to me. If it's better than that, great. And given, I mean, Christian Bale's getting a lot of, like, you know, solid reviews and whatnot, like, cool, good for him. He's Christian Bale. I expect that from him. So Yeah, totally. I, I look forward to it because it's there, and I like what I'm seeing so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Ford v. Ferrari arrives in theaters uh, November 15th. So it's coming this fall. Yeah. Um, our next trailer is for another space movie. Uh, it's called Lucy in the Sky. It's directed by Noah Hawley, who's been the showrunner on Legion and Fargo, two FX series. And this is his, um, I believe it's his theatrical feature debut. No, it's not. I mean, let me think. Let me take that back. I, they, they didn't even know th- no, he didn't. No, this is. Yeah, I'm right. He, this is his, his uh, first, like, uh, movie uh, that he's directed. Um, it stars Natalie Portman as an astronaut. Um, it's set, I think, in, like, the seven, like in the 70s or 80s, if I'm not mistaken. Think so. I thought it was set like '90s, 2000s, because I'm not entirely sure. But that's also kind that is, yeah, yeah. that's also kind of Holly's thing. Like he makes like his, especially with Legion. Like Legion's kind of unstuck in time. It's like has a lot of different elements, and that's I mean there seems to be a quirky kind of quality here as far as how it's being presented. But it also stars John Hamm, Zazie Beetz, Dan Stevens, Colin Domingo, Ellen Burstyn, uh, among others. Hey, where, where are you with this trailer? Where do you think here? So the trailer is kind of weird and it's kind of wacky and I was kind of digging it. Uh, just the way that it makes you feel as though maybe something sci-fi-ish is going to go on. And then I think I was reading some reviews, uh, not full-on reviews, but I was reading something about a, a specific exclusion of a detail. And I was like, oh, this is that story where there was uh, some sort of uh, love triangle and a woman from NASA was so in love with this person that they they drove like, you know, day and night to go and, and try and win their love and i was like this is if it's that story that's not really what i was getting from the trailer but uh i am curious to see this movie just because of who's involved and also what it could be about i'm very intrigued peter how about you where are you with lucy in the sky it's funny because like i would say as we be as we began this decade like i i in general i really love movies about i guess solitary humans in space or whatever, you know, gravity, Solaris, you know, whatever. Like, uh, I really like those kind of movies. Like, it's it's the kind of, I mean, is that, I don't know, is the Martian, is that hard sci-fi? Is that what we're calling this? Because it's not fantastical. Is that what all this is? is that what this, I, I've um, never heard that term. Hard sci-fi is where you kind of remove anything that's, that's kind of not abstract. It has to be things that are based in, level, in all reality and whatnot. And you have, you have movies. And I guess all. so, yeah. 
Something so gravity like, would be, in theory, gravity is pretty much like, gravity and like Interstellar. They aspire to be hard sci-fi. Got to it. Degree. Like they're they're basing everything off of mostly scientific fact with like. So gravity. yeah, I guess the Martian would be. So whereas, well, then I guess we would say First Man. That's really more just a period piece. It just happens to be about an astronaut because yes. that's. I mean, yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's yeah. a biopic. I mean, that's, I mean um, it's not, it's not, guess, you know, it's, it's not fiction. Like, it's not science fiction. It's science. <laughs> right, right. The the opening moments of the trailer of both trailers, I I really love. I mean, it, I really like Natalie Portman. Like, I I think she's been, you know, Vox Lux, Jackie, going back to you know, Black Swan. Like, I I think she's terrific. Uh, so with this, I was like, oh, it's really cool. It's like her in space. But yeah, once the trailer moves into like the I see what you're trying to do and I'm not going to be able to get this. And there's a romance. So I was like, wait, what's going on? I was like, wait, I hope that's not the movie. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I don't now. although now from what you're saying, it sounds like that's a big part. Cause it, I mean, the thing that I like about these movies is it's more, it's almost more like it's the characters are almost like at war with themselves. It's not the other humans or it's the environment it's space. So I don't know. Like, I hope it's good, but yeah, the romance that scandal thing like that that gave me a little pause mm-hmm. so all right i can't disagree with what you guys are saying like i i, I find myself in yeah that's kind of where i'm at with this where like i i i'm a big fan of noah holly's legion and fargo i think those are really interesting shows that uh show me something especially in the world of television where you don't get like much a tourist vision all that often like it seems like he's really trying to not only like make a compelling series but do something that really speaks to kind of the technical presentation of it as far as like mm-hmm. aspect ratio changes how you're v- visualizing like legion deals with mental illness in a lot of ways and like there's some really neat things that, in addition to like being a mutant series like it, it like tries to kind of rely on certain aspects of why this person acts a certain way like there's interesting things there i am very curious how he applies that style to a cinematic feature uh, so i i want to know how that goes and if he's aided by the support of what seems to be a pretty strong cast, I hope that goes well. <laughs> so I, I'm not entirely sure where the story's going to go. Um, but as a, as a fan of just Holly as a filmmaker, I, I look forward to seeing what it becomes. Cool. I, you know, I've never, you know, I, I liked the first two seasons of Fargo. I thought it was terrific. I just, are there three or four seasons? Three. Uh, so I just never saw the other one, but I thought it was really good. Um, it's weird though. I will say, I always thought all the promos that FX does for Legion looks fantastic. But uh, a friend of mine who's a big TV, you know, we, we like a lot of the same shows. He like hates it. He thinks it's like one of the worst. He really doesn't like it. And I was like, I was like, really? It looks pretty good. Like, uh, I, I, so I think just, it's great. I, I <laughs> okay. So. It, it wrapped like it's only three seasons. And it ended this like, like a month ago. And I'm like, well, that was just a really good show. <laughs> That's where I'm at with it. Oh, so all three seasons were good. So it stayed consistent. I'd say so. Like it, it's certainly it's a weirder show than than like most that I see on TV, which kept me kept me intrigued just because I'm like, well, I don't know where this is going, like, and I'm all about that. So, because hmm, it's like it's like I think it's like what ten episodes each season, so it's like it's not too much time out of my way to have spent with this series. Is Aubrey Plaza in it the whole time, or is only in the pilot? She's in no, she's in the whole thing. I mean, I really like her, you know. So, um... yeah, the cat, the whole cat, like it has a great set of like characters like throughout it. Um, a lot of people in there to who is make who's the lead. Dan Stevens. He's Dan Stevens. He's the Legion. Beast. Who's also in Losing the Sky. Uh, okay. Yes, he's a, yeah, he's been working with yeah. Holly. Yeah. Uh, okay. You mean the, the Beast from Beauty yeah. and the Beast? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. guest. And yeah, the and the guest, yeah. yeah. The guest is he was their guest in that movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lumiere. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, Lucy in the Sky hits theaters um, October 4th. So it's coming pretty soon. Yeah, in a couple weeks here. Yeah. That, that's that's Joker week, as I call it. Mm, or JW. Kind of tough. Yeah. JW? <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, that's trailer talk. Let's move on now. Let's get to our let's get to our main review for the Goldfinch. What do you remember about the incident? I like this one. Look at the map. Where were you when it happened? I don't remember. When you came around, did you see people? Yes. What were they doing? They were dead. We are an awful lot alike, Theo. What we both went through. The sooner we get back to a normal routine, the better. Oh, Bert. And Blackwell. It's like he sent me exactly where I needed to be and to who I needed to be with. Is your mother dead, too? Yes. I know you were there, and I know what else was in that room. The Goldfinch. That should have been some of the trailer for The Goldfinch. Based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel by Donna Tartt, The Goldfinch focuses on a 13-year-old boy named Theo who finds himself dealing with a new life following the death of his mother in a terrorist bombing. Having survived, the boy manages to leave with a famous painting secretly in his possession. During this time, Theo meets various new paternal figures and friends, including an antique shop owner, played by Jeffrey Wright, and a Ukrainian kid he can relate to, played by Finn Wolfhard. We also see Theo as a young man, played by Ansel Elgort, who contends with his adult, his adult life, where he's lost in a number of ways. Peter, you have started the 700-plus page novel, The Goldfinch, what can you say about this film adaptation? Well, again, I have I've read maybe uh, well, 100 pages out of 700. You know, I mean, I don't know what so the you've, fra- you've, read, you've read a seventh of the novel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, that the famous I, fraction that people usually go to. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think that um, it, it occurs to me that, like, it, it very much feels that the what really works about the book is the prose. Um, it's it's. It's just the way I think Donna Tart. I think that's the author's name. Yes. Um, it's the way she kind of like finds these connections and observations um, for this person who feels very isolated and also kind of obsessed with things that is like outside of his control. Uh, and it also feels very post 9-11. I think the book came out in 2012, but it feels like it the terrorist attack thing it feels like, oh, this is kind of what she's she's doing a 9-11 like type story um but yes so it so far um things that we'll get to in the review of the uh, movie i am wondering if it is a literal translation like it's like yes what happens in the book is what happens in the movie because there we'll get into the issues that i have because so mm-hmm. far everything in the book feels more grounded even though you have to open with this explosion and he and I actually, oh, here's an example. When he takes the painting, you don't really know that he took the painting. Like, it's 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 almost like there's a guy saying, you need to take this. And they kind of talk about, he picks up this thing that's smaller than his laptop and he puts it in a bag. Uh. Like it's not really evident that it's a famous painting. So it's like... I mean, the book's the, called it, The Goldfinch, though. 
Right. Well, no. I mean, well, that's you know. I mean, eventually he comes home and then you see it. But I mean, like, like okay. it, <laughs> in the moment, in the moment it happens, that's not really the focus. So okay. it's almost like a misdirect. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I am. I I was re- very much looking forward to seeing uh, this movie because I really like Brooklyn. Um, and I've been trying to read more. And yeah, this book won the Pulitzer. Uh, although it should be noted that while it did win the Pulitzer, and it has. There are Russian bots, or what? What are we? There are Russian bots involved? Well, not Russian bots, but although it does have a lot of accolades, um, it's either the New Yorker or the New York Times, which is like their their book review is. Yeah, I'm aware. They like they hold a lot of clout when it comes to what they yeah. say about the, the the written word. Right. They're they're, they're the wise. <laughs> they're, they're the uh, they're the out now and Abe of. Whoa! Yeah, that's yeah, that that's. That, I was gonna say that, but I wanted someone else to say it to make me feel better. <laughs> wow, Peter, thank you. <laughs> but they did not uh, love the book, and a lot of the criticisms they had about the book, I think we're about to get into on in the movie. So that is interesting to me. Um, but so far, I I'm enjoying the book. I mean, it's... <laughs> where are you with the movie? What do you think of the movie? <laughs> oh, well, you said the book. That's how I wasn't sure if I was supposed. Oh, to no worries. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, we're working with the movie. I think the movie's really well shot. It's it's Roger Deakins, so like there isn't really an ugly frame, and you know nothing ugly composed. And I think the I think the character, uh, the good cast. It it feel I was okay. Okay, I would say it's a two. Is it two and a half hours? It's pretty long, right? Yeah, it's 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 two hours. It's one hundred and forty nine minutes. It's two and a half hours. Yeah. Okay, so it's two and a half hour movie. I would say, and I said in my Why So Blue review, I felt like I wasn't timing it, but I felt like. For two hours in the movie, while there were things I rolled my eyes at, I was pretty much enjoying it. I liked Theo. I liked the two periods. Um, I just I like his, you know, him being a kid and like, you know, I, I, I and being in this very rich, you know, the rich world of the Manhattan elite, I guess. And then the kind of like desperate Nevada, Vegas, like like I thought that was all pretty entertaining, but uh, like it. It leads to uh, the last maybe 20 minutes or so that it felt a lot like they were cramming all of these in in, all these plot moments that happen. That just probably takes place over 200 pages in the book. Mm -hmm. And in a movie, it really feels kind of contrived. Like I was just like, what? Now that happens. Come on. Like it. And that just really kind of fizzled it for me. Uh, But I did not think the, the word before I saw it. And I think the same for. You, you two. Um, I had already heard advance word that it was not very good. That people were like, "Oh, this is a disaster." I didn't think it was a disaster. Like, I think I gave it like three out of five, which is probably being a little generous. It's probably maybe two and a half. But I mean, like, it didn't think it was terrible. So, eh, you know, I thought oh, it was a- that's a that's a quote. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the the better pool quote of like, uh, I gave it a three and a half or a three out of five. A little bit generous. Should have been a two and a half. <laughs> That's a long quote. That should be like when you see like the LA Times review and it's like the full review on a poster. It should say it should say that. Like, and there's just a lot of negative space underneath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From um, Los Angeles uh, renowned critic Peter Paris. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I wouldn't call this a cinematic page turner. Uh, I will say <laughs> uh, I feel like this is a movie that's like all packed up with nowhere to go. Um, it's, it has a lot here and I just couldn't find myself too interested in it because it doesn't seem like it knows how to tell a story. It knows how to tell me a lot of plot, but doesn't feel like it all came together in a way that makes me think about anything. 
it makes me think about the nice images that I'm seeing, because as we mentioned, Deacons has shot this movie, and there's certainly a lot to, of cinematic value in that. Um, and John Crowley, who, yes, Brooklyn was a really was a pretty fantastic movie. We, uh, we're, I think yeah. most most of us are all pretty big fans of it. I, I was interested in this movie because he was like following this. This was his follow up to that film. Like that on that level, it's like I, I don't think anyone's inept at directing or shooting when it comes to the presentation of this film. I just feel like these, the story, whether it's an, a problem I would see in the book if I had read it or if it's just a screenplay adaptation problem, which is probably more likely the case. It just doesn't give it much to do outside of telling you things that are happening. And by that, I mean, you have Theo, he's experienced a trauma, and he meets all these different characters, but none of that adds up to me to tell me anything more than, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. I don't really feel like, for all the introspective monologues and whatnot that's going on, I don't feel like I really got anything out of this film that feels anything to me like I, I've I'm struggling to kind of go over what we can talk about with this movie on a thematic level just because I don't really know what thematic things we're going at it feels like a modern Dickens thing that like is just bad it's like bad Dickens like based off like this story <laughs> then that it can't watching. be Dickens right <laughs> well yeah but it's like the you know the sprawling nature of like a young boy dealing with a trauma and meeting all these figures what it's like yeah that's you know I've seen that's that in yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, it's like that's all there. I've seen that done before. I've just seen it done better, both uh, you know, liter from a literary standpoint as well as a cinematic standpoint. Mm -hmm. I can we can get into performances and stuff that's like worthwhile, but as a film, I mean, it felt very long and it didn't give me much to chew on outside of that. So, mm -hmm. Abe, how about you? What do you think? Man, you guys are both wrong because this is one of the best movies of the year. This is an amazing accomplishment. I freaking love this movie. All the actors, fantastic jobs. All of the adult actors, fantastic jobs. The guy who really blows it off the screen, Finn Wolfhard, man. That guy is, like, acting like a Russian uh, vampire, and he's, like, the best friend. He's he's amazing. I mean, I, I don't know what you guys are not seeing here that, uh, that I'm seeing, right? Well, Am I right? I'm on the edge of my seat because I'm waiting for a turn here. Because <laughs> what what turn are you talking about, Aaron? Everything that I say is true on this show. I don't know what you're talking about here. Well, well wait. I mean, okay, wait, wait. Hold on. Two, yeah, go ahead, Peter. I'm waiting. Well, I mean. He's going to get into Wolfhard. You need to reveal if you're joking or not right now. <laughs> yeah, you're joking. It's the Wolfhard thing. When he came on the screen, I was like, oh, Stranger Things kid. And I was like, wow, he looks really tall. I was like, I mean. Yeah, he's very further tall. Further proof thinking. that they de-aged him for It Chapter 2, by the way. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like, but I mean. Like, okay. his face is literally not the same as it was two years ago. <laughs> like, right. I mean, I think I said this in my review that. Yeah. He, the whole, look, his name's Boris. His the 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 way they directed him to play up this kind of Russian kid is Ukrainian. Pretty, I'm just gonna play this. Out. It's pretty over the top. Um, but but I will say this, Peter. That's the magic of Finn Wolfhard's acting. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, like I will say this too, and I can't tell if a teasing, but like I'll I will get to that in a minute. But I did I did enjoy it. I just was kind of rolling my eyes a little, where I was like, oh, this is a little, this is a little goofy. Like, yeah. but I was fine, I'll go with this, you know, like, uh, and I did, I mean, so I yeah. did enjoy their time, but I did think it was kind of silly, like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I too agree that Finn Wolfhard's acting is very silly. In truth, this movie is a giant bore. It is oh, hugely, <laughs> it is a giant bore and a giant chore. I'm going to turn into a rapper during this, this review. 
<laughs> His name is Abe, and he came to say he didn't like the goldfinch. Oh, hey. Hey, babe. <laughs> There's a lot that we need to unpack in this movie because, you know, for... <laughs> no, there, there really is. I mean, like, to, to be honest, like, you're talking about thematic stuff, and I'll get to that in a second here, but, you know, themes of, like, loss and grief and serendipity. This movie is the craziest serendipitous movie I've ever seen this year. <laughs> it's so ridiculous and over the top that I'm like, there were two times in the movie theater where I threw up my hands. It, there's, <laughs> there's like, there's, there's five people in the in my screening, and I'm sitting in my chair just throwing up my hands, and I was thinking to myself, why is this happening? How is this possible? This is crazy. To be honest, like the the whole entire movie is ridiculous. Like, I was so upset after watching this movie. Like, not like I hated it. I agree with you, Peter. I was going to say Paris. I agree with you, Peter, that uh, there's, you know, some things that you can't take away from it because it's not all bad. But to be honest, Aram said it the best. It's very empty. And for a movie that has so many people in it, Nicole Kidman, Jeffrey Wright, uh, I was going to say Finn Wolfhard, but... uh, Luke um, Wilson, Sarah Paulson, Ansel Wilson, Sarah Sarah Paulson plays a character that's supposed to be somebody that you dislike. You can't have Sarah Paulson, who you know is a fantastic actress, play this type of role. You have to have like an Amy Ryan type character or something like that, right? When, Where you, it's when, like, your, when your character's name is Zandra spelled with an X, with an I'm like, X? Oh, yeah. yeah. And when, when they introduced <laughs> her on the screen and they said that, that exact line, that her name is spelled with an X, I was like, oh, this must be a joke, right? Because it's Sarah Paulson. And no, they're not joking. And the dad is played by Luke Wilson, very handsome. And I was like, wait, this is the guy that your mom left because he was a drunkard? You know, there's so many things here that that I just, you know, to be honest, this is like a hugely like ridiculous movie because of what they're trying to say in the movie, which is you have to appreciate art because art is, you know, it's the only thing that frees everybody. It's like these are messages that don't translate universally. This is a very specific type of like family that he's trying to be with, and this is also a very specific world that he lives in. None of it relates to anybody else, and I'm not saying that everything has to be like you know a Slumdog Millionaire type, where it's like oh wow from rags to riches kind of thing. But to be honest, like Aaron, you mentioned a, a few other cinematic things that were better than this. Boy with Apple is sort of this movie too, and Boy with Apple is is Wes Anderson's uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh-huh. That is a way better movie than this movie. And I, I definitely understood everything in that movie, and I, I loved every bit of it. The other thing is, like, sure, the Thomas Crown Affair is not the same thing, but Thomas Crown Affair is, like, this is a, a better I, like concept of, like, you know, uh, of uh, – or I forget what they say. What, what you're telling me is that people, you know, movies that have juxtaposed art with the kind of the way life works, there's been better ones that have done that. And right. also just the whole entire like thing of like, hey, who's the real artist if you can't tell if it's a fake kind of thing, right? Dope, that dope. is <laughs> that is way better told than other movies. This movie is too messy. It's it's not very cohesive. It's like it's literally alphabet soup. Like you know, oh, well, well let's make uh, him call his drug dealer. Oh, a character from the past shows up there. This is fucking crazy. This movie, like, is it blows my mind that this movie was made and it was edited, and they were just like, yeah, let's let's put it out there for two and a half hours. Like, the whole entire premise of this movie is just ridiculous. So when I was reading the the Wikipedia, I haven't read the book, Peter. Sorry, but when I was reading the Wikipedia afterward of this of the uh, of the book, I was like, this is a movie, or th- how could this book be this good? And I was reading about the the uh, the author. She grew up in like Mississippi, and she kind of like had some of these like uh, run-ins, and then she wrote this Pulitzer Prize-winning book. It blew my mind that it won the Pulitzer, and I was like, what? 
this book is about nothing. Like, to be honest, like when I when I left the theater, the thing that I thought about was like, this is a book or this is a screenplay as if like Holden Caulfield wrote a screenplay. And that is like. <laughs> If you if you know what I'm talking about, like Holden Caulfield is always about like oh phonies and like he dresses like he's cooler than he is. He acts like he's older than he is. And this is something that he would write where he's like, this is a fucking masterpiece. It's not a masterpiece. And the thing that really doesn't make it go into like full on like you know fu mode is the actors that are involved with this because I think that Jeffrey Wright is giving a really good performance. And the person I really like, the only other person I really like who uh, who I think is like uh, doesn't have enough justice is Pippa, the adult Pippa. Where she oh, yeah. actually comes to terms yeah. with the things that have happened in her life, and yet you go over like fucking art stealing and a Chinese guy with an art painting with a super rolled up ending, and I was like, "Give me a break! This is so dumb." Sorry, I went on a rant there, but still. <laughs> It'd be, uh, hold on, hold on. That'd be Ashley Cummings would be the person. That Correct. Yeah. That you're referring to. Um, <laughs> so more thoughts on extremely gold and incredibly Finch. I um, uh, I just. <laughs> I, I mean, you certainly did not like this movie nearly <laughs> as much as, as Peter did, um, and even his, he's giving faint praise. I, yes, I, I am not a fan of this film either, and like to get at what you're speaking to, I can only, I mean, as far as the book's concerned, I can only imagine it's because the prose is good like that, yeah. that that has to be a big part of it let so alone, when you mentioned that i was like oh i need to hear more about that well let alone what you can kind of explore in a you know a book that has the time to do so as opposed to a two and a half hour movie that's adapting 700 pages like that's a big thing to adapt here and i imagine there's so much nuance and just other details that you just can't put in this which is why to me empty is the right word for it because it just feels like i'm getting delivered things that are happening without hearing what's going on behind that i get luke wilson and sarah paulson showing up playing cartoon characters as opposed to actual humans as opposed to getting a real sense of like what's going on based off what i've read the stuff involving the vegas aspect of this film takes like a year and a half or so where the movie it just seems like a couple weeks pass and so it's that kind of i have the same problem with the uh, that troy movie by the way where it's like that movie that, that war is supposed to last like 10 years the movie looks like it lasts like two weeks um <laughs> not to call back to 2004's troy no, but there you like, go wow, that, was <laughs> really, that was a really old call but but um it's a lot of that where just everything does feel kind of condensed without giving me a chance to kind of breathe in. And the moments it tries is, well, yeah, you have Finn Wolfhard, who I think he's overdoing it. But at the same time, he's giving some life to this thing because, yes, he's supposed to be comedic by design. And it gives it gives um, Theo Oaksfegley, who I do think is actually pretty good in this movie, given what he's mm. given to do. I don't think he's bad. I do think he does a little bit too much of a I'm going to grab my glasses now instead of acting. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I do think like it's still it's, the trademark that trademark that right now. <laughs> the, the work is there. Um, but like that stretch of the movie is like, OK, well, at least there's like there's some momentum here. Like after we get like all the sour, like the dour stuff and Jeffrey Wright, who's very good at this movie, but still like. You know, we're, there's there's not much here. He's beyond, one note like, Jeffrey Wright, but he's it, good. Yeah, uh, you get to get like you have kids being kids for a while, and that stuff is kind of fun. I could do about two different Radiohead songs trying to underscore the moments, the emotions that are going on. Yeah, it's like movie, do your work. Don't like use Radiohead to solve your problems. Um, but I mean, yeah, it just all that the early stuff is whatever and then when he gets older it's like i should be reflecting on the things that i saw when he was a kid and it's like no i'm not 
I'm not feeling much here. And you're packing in so many plot elements as such as like a love triangle, the the drama involving his drug addiction, possible suicidal thoughts, still contending with the death of his mother, the stolen painting, recovering the stolen painting, and even a gunfight. Like there's all there's like so <laughs> much stuff packed into this movie. It's like, how did we get here? And so that's why I was thinking by the end of this two and a half hour stretch, it's like we we started in a way different place than we ended in this thing, and I don't feel like it justified that in any way. Yeah, so that, I, I, that, that, take, that takes me away from, like, trying to appreciate the finer moments of this film because it's so, like, it's so loosely connected without actually telling me anything. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to let Peter go in a second here, but the only thing that I'll, I'll add on to what you're saying there is I wasn't lost when we got to the ending part. It was more just like, this is an ending that's typical for this movie. I was, I was not surprised by it is, is, uh, is what I would say. But Peter, can you talk to me about, you know, not that I'm trying to juxtapose you and I, but I, it sounds like you, you like this a little bit more, but also I'd love to hear how the prose or the narrative of the book works because it was just really not working for me in this movie. I think, I think that like, it's funny because there's two ways I can, I can go down this road and I guess I'm going to try to combine this and try to um, do both. But like, okay. So like in the book, I thought what I thought what the author did really well, which so the opening of the movie, I mean, is, you know, spoiler. I mean, that's the big the explosion at the museum at the Met and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, he leaves, he goes back home and he's like, hope he's thinking that his mom's going to be there. But obviously she died and, you know, all that kind of stuff right. in the book. Part of what I thought worked really well, even before the explosion, is that um, the whole and I think they say this in the in the movie, it's like. They only went to the museum because they had to kill time because they had to meet the principal. Because remember, there's a thing where it's like he might get in trouble for smoking for smoking. But it's actually in the book. It's a lot deeper than that. It's also that um, because his father had left the family, um, his teachers had been letting him kind of skate by. But his grades had gotten so bad that they're like, look, man, I know your dad left and everything, but like you really got to get back on track. You might get kicked out. So there's a lot of pressure as this as this little kid, as a 13 year old. And what he's doing in the museum is he's trying to distract his mom because he selfishly doesn't want to. You know, he's hoping that she'll forget and that they'll like not go, you know. Yeah. So there's a when she brings up the goldfinch in the book and she's like, oh, this is one of my favorites and everything. He's very much like, yeah, ma'am, uh, have at it. You know, like, that's great and everything. And so, like, the guilt that he has of like trying to push off something that he was embarrassed about, you know, a school as a 13 year old, which obviously now leads to he loses his mother and this person, you know, loses their life. It's a right. very different kind of weight. So when you're reading it and you see the conflicts that this kid is having, it works pretty well. And I was like, oh, OK, I get it. Like, yeah, that's because we're in a movie. Well, the movie's not communicating that. That's yeah, I was going to say right that there. sounds like, I'm already sad listening to that. And I mean, I, 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 I tend to feel that a lot in a lot of movies where I the, the way, especially when it comes to people that have liked something more than I have, like take chapter two last week, the way Luke Thompson, who was great on the show and I was happy to hear his opinion. But the way he described it to me, that sounded like a movie I was more interested in than the movie I actually got to watch. And I find right. that to be problematic in a lot of films where regardless of what the, you know, whatever else any other critic is saying, hearing or just having a conception of what I'm supposed to be watching, it's frustrating to me to know that there is a good story to be told here or something that's at least more communicative in how I'm supposed to feel about what these characters are going through, and yet the movie presentation of it, to me, is just not hitting on any level. That's that's the worst kind of thing. Whether it's a drama or an action movie or what have you, if you're telling me that it's about this and I should be feeling that, 
and I'm not, that sucks. Like, that's, I can't, I can't, I don't like that I have to deal with that. Yes, Aaron, no. breathe in my anger. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what? well, the other thing I wanted to say was, was yeah. that it, I mean, it, we'll see how well this book ages, you know, 10 years from now or whatever, like, but it's funny because, um, the you know, Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby is one of the big, you know, top 10 American novels of all time and uh, or of the 20th century or whatever. And it's always had a hard time being like filmed or whatever. And I actually, I got to say, I kind of like the Baz Luhrmann version because I mean, we were fans on this podcast. Yeah, I, I, I like a lot. I like Baz Luhrmann's style for it. I believe oh, uh, Laramie Legal, our guest for that episode. I don't know why I remember that, but I do because uh, <laughs> that's like six years ago now. Um, he was a big he was a huge fan of it. I think it was one of his favorite movies of the year. But I think that I, I think that like. Both um, the Goldfinch and the Great Gatsby, they have plot elements that are that could be considered pretty melodramatic. I mean, let's remember Gatsby. I mean, that there's a huge thing. I mean, isn't it like uh, was it like do they Daisy. run over somebody? Yeah, yeah. Some, she's driving, yeah. and then I mean, here's yeah. the thing: there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with melodrama. That's not inherently bad. I mean, it just but but the style that Baz Luhrmann brings, like. Gerald's prose that's what we remember it's it's sure. not really the whereas this movie especially the last 20 minutes it's just like yeah like the whole counterfeiting thing. I was like what is going on <laughs> I was like seriously this is the direction we're going yeah. now he's got to go to Amsterdam I was like oh come on and, and then this character this, this character and I'm like Ansel Elgort's already been to Amsterdam and that, that was a more successful trip <laughs> <laughs> like I just don't I just don't know like those 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 big those big brushstrokes like in a story like without the context or the understanding it just it's really hard not to as an audience member be like oh this is so silly you know like come on or whatever like it wasn't even that it was silly it was just that like this is frustratingly maddeningly like crazy like like what you guys just said he literally leaves his engagement party to go resolve this thing and the thing that i i get what you're saying peter with like the whole entire guilt part because you know that 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 is one of the themes, right? Guilt of uh, of uh, basically saying that you killed your mother, kind yeah, of thing. There's guilt, there's grieving, there's a have and have not aspect. Right. To this. Like there's a lot yeah, of universal have themes. Have like, yeah. It's a little bit too too shallow for me, but I definitely saw that. It's but, still there. I mean, it's, yeah, who's not trying to do it? The thing that the thing that sucked was like, oh, okay, great. You know, all this whole entire time, I, I won't get into I won't get into spoilers, but there's something that that's missing from his life, right? Uh, after uh, Las Vegas, and I was like, man, that like that that should be like. It is kind of impactful that I'm seeing this on the screen. At the same time, like, they're not giving me anything, like, you know, they're not really giving me anything here to hold on to because as impactful as it is and the scene is kind of a, a hurried scene, there's nothing here that says, like, your whole life has been a lie kind of thing. And it's like, no, that would have been fantastic if you did take the time to portray it in a way that was very, very much more like, man, like, you're angry and you're upset and whatever else, and all of a sudden you know, push comes to shove and now you really want something that really wasn't yours back anyway. But the themes of this, I agree with you, Aaron, very light. They don't really touch upon it and go into it in detail. To some degree, it's almost as if, um, you know, they decided to say like a coming of age story at the same time, like a, 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 a heist movie and a crime movie. And I was like, this yeah, is too you... much. Yeah. So I was kind of disappointed because this is John Crowley who did Brooklyn and he is able to, capture things on the screen for you i mean one two of the things i really like about brooklyn are uh saoirse ronan's acting but also there's like that one shot where she just turns back from like a barn or whatever for holds on it for like 20 seconds 
and it's deeply moving for no real reason other than you feel the weight of everything that this person is going to go through in the next like hour and a half of the movie. And none of that re- translates here. Deacons does whatever he can, but even some shots are ridiculous, right? I mean, it's, it's not as though it's like, not ridiculous, but Deacons does what he can in this movie. But man, Nicole Kidman, what a waste of talent on the screen. You know, she's known to be, she has been in dramatic roles before. And I don't think she's particularly is, bad here, though. I do. She's I not mean, bad. I, it's I, more I, like, what, what, like, what is she supposed to bring here? I, I mean, this comes down to the, it's not like the actor can see the movie that they're making and be like, well, I have thoughts. It's like they've made the movie in the moment. I mean, hindsight, it's sure. 2020. So it's like, yeah. Well, yeah, totally. And I know that she's, she's playing the role of, of surrogate mother on the have side, right? So mm-hmm. that that's fine, but still. I know a, what you're saying, though. I mean, you're watching good people or like good correct. actors and doing it's kind of a their job and it doesn't really go end up anywhere. But I, Peter, let's get back to, because you, you are like giving a mild recommendation to this movie. Like, what are we speak? What, what's speaking to you differently that that's like, at least this oh well the things i i mean uh i didn't uh i mean my favorite thing of the movie is and it's somewhat i guess is dovetailing into what abe is talking about with the grand budapest the notion of like art or craft is i really like the um jeffrey wright is is this guy hobie who has this antique shop and there's there's this one moment where like he's showing young Theo, the difference between something that is actually like a restoration and something that's like put together and made by machine. And he, and he puts the kid's hand and he's like, see how you can feel here that this is done by a machine. And this is actually done by hand. And I was like, Oh, I kind of like that. Like this notion of, I mean, in a cheesy way, you could be like, Oh, well, it's kind of like, what is living an authentic life or something. Now I, that is a broad thing to pull out of that. But the moment, which is like, this kid and this kind of father figure type character. I thought that was pretty good. And, and, and actually I liked him being, and I liked that later as an adult we're like, Oh, he managed to make a life out of this, that he became, you know, a, a seller, you know, working with Hobie, like all that stuff. I, I enjoyed which also leads to uh, Peppa. I, I thought all of that worked well for me, I guess, you know, I like that stuff. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, cause I'm, I'm not as, down on this film as Abe is, while I certainly do dislike it, and I think it is because of, there's individual moments that yes, like they're they work because of whatever performance is being going is going on, or because of just the way it's framed or what have you. Like there is a, again, it's not like John Crowley, and it's not like Brooklyn was his first movie. Like John Crowley yeah. knows how to make a movie, uh, like he knows how to deliver on certain things. He's a good actor's director, it seems. Um, and I mean, you have some some visual stuff here, and like frankly, there's there are. While I'm not getting what the film wants to tell me, being pulled along to this thing, while I do think it wasn't very well paced, I do think it's there's some there's something compelling enough about like, well, I do want to see where this goes. Like, what is this all supposed to bring me? It didn't end up bringing me anything, but I still wanted to see where that was going to go. Sure. Um, so like, I just yeah, it's it's a it's more of a frustrating mess than anything in my eyes because there's all these elements that could like I said, it's it's all packed up with nowhere to go. Yeah, like it has and, and, everything it needs to work. It's just not doing it for me. Yeah. As for the acting, you know, Ansel Elgort, I everybody here, whenever they have a dramatic moment, like in that moment, they're very good in it. You know, Pippa and, and Ansel Elgort have like a hard heart conversation at one point over dinner. It's very good. There's another part where Ansel Elgort has to talk to, you know, adult Boris about what is he's getting back in return. And you see his eyes well up and I was like, that is fantastic. That's that's really well done, you know, from an actor's standpoint. Um, but as far as like he the movie opens up with with him monologuing about fakes and whatever else, like it would have been fantastic to really know that this guy 
you don't really get a sense of it until you really dissect it afterward. But his whole entire life, he's just a fake. You know what I mean? Like, he himself is a fake. That's why he pawns off fakes at an antique store. And right. he does whatever. I was like, yeah, all it is, he just knows how to lie and cheat and steal. One of the best lines in this that's like casually thrown away is from Sarah Paulson. She says, you're like your father, and you just don't really know it. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, that is a terrific embodiment of exactly what's happening he thinks that he's nicole kidman's like you know surrogate son kind of thing and he he comes from like the the uh the fifth avenue kind of hotel or new york lifestyle but no he is just you know he's got his own vices and he doesn't know how to work through them and that's why pippa's character is the best character here because she has been in the same situation she was a part of that same bombing she realizes that she as an adult can't live in this place anymore because it haunts her and she has to leave, even though it breaks her heart to leave Hobie, who is like her caretaker when she was young and kind of like a business partner with her with her uncle. Um, and then also, uh, you know, Ansel Elgort's character, who may or may not be a love interest, but has definitely been through this trauma with her. And she's the most she's the character with like the most arc. And yet she has like two minutes of screen time. It's very unfortunate. So we're talking about this movie. And I mentioned already that it came in eighth place at the box office this weekend. It made $2.6 million. It's a bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, the, movie, the movie costs like $45 million. Like, it's not like Oof. it's made the most... Well, I mean, even then, it, that's still not... that Relatively inexpensive um, compared sure. to you know, big blockbusters that cost upwards of 90 to you know $200 million these days. Uh, but yes, it's still going to be a loss for Warner Brothers. And it's a loss for... You know, what we see today as far as adult dramas go in the studio system, I look for I I, I hesitate to think that Ad Astra is going to make a ton of money next weekend. But it is another example. And so it's like Ford vs. Ferrari, for example, as far as sure. major studio films that are made for an adult, not just, you know, it's not a four quadrant blockbuster. It's something that's made for an audience for an audience to see that's. Ad Astra, that has like a $90 million budget. That's a little more mainstream, but it's still... You know what I'm saying. These movies yeah. aren't designed for anybody to go to. They're designed for an adult audience to see because they're choosing to see streaming things so much. So here we have this movie, which is, a, you know, it's a big Warner Brothers release. I'm not going to say it's the most prestigious release they have because that big clown movie's coming up after their <laughs> other clown movie they just had released. So clearly they got clowns on the mind right now. Wait, what's but, the next clown movie? Joker. Oh. Come on, what are you doing? My bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, J.W., got it. Yeah, J.W., yeah, J-Dubs. Um, <laughs> Joker. Joker Week. Joker Week 2019. <laughs> it's going to be on a shirt. It's going to have every location written on the back, so it's going to have about 4,000 different cities. <laughs> uh, but I, I bring all this up because you know, we talk about, you know, awards contenders and things like that. And a lot of that conversation starts up just because the movie exists. It existed, for example, last year with Vice, where just because it was the next film from Adam McKay and it starred Christian Bale and all these people and it was based off a certain thing, a, you know, a, a white man that's controversial, um, it was like, well, this has to be nominated for awards. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do we, what do we do to change that conversation? Where a movie like this like automatically gets like the run up into that and then like something comes out of nowhere and is like, well, that movie should probably get nominated for stuff and it ended up doesn't happening. Like, what are we... Where do that train start? Is it because this is a, a you know an award-winning book and then a large large studio adaptation thing? And it's, so... It starts because of just how people think. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. it comes down to. And those people in power think as far... And whether it comes just to Oscar logic or just because your mind is set to think that way. But it's like, well, you know, Nicole Kidman, Jeffrey Wright, Pulitzer Prize-winning book, the director of Brooklyn. Yeah. It, it, there's no reason this shouldn't be nominated for Academy Awards. Like, that's the, that's where the line of thinking is. 
And, you know, you see plenty of other movies that come along where you don't think that has any shot of doing it. Like, think back a few years ago to, like, Mad Max Fury Road. Would you think that's going to get nominated for 11 Oscars? Probably not. Sure. <laughs> I mean, right, like, right. You're, you're probably not going into that thinking, well, it's probably going to be a lot of fun and, like, pretty action-packed. You're not thinking, well, this movie's automatically going to be an awards contender, no doubt about it. And hmm. I think we're, we're just so stuck in this with a lot of these movies where, like, yeah, I mean, a lot of them are coming out that I'm already seeing reviews for from film festivals where it's like, I know what the conversation was before people saw it, and I know what it is after people saw it. Got something it. Like, something like the uh, Judy, the Renee Zellweger, Judy Garland biopic, where it's like, well, that has to be nominated for the Oscars, because why wouldn't it be? It's a famous person being acted by another famous person. Sure. It's like, I mean... Why, do, why does this automatically have to be... Why, is that autom- in, why does that uh, automatically mean that? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe it helps... I mean, Peter, you definitely... It have, helps the studio. Like, yeah, it, they, it want it, they want to hear They want that conversation. It helps the studio, because they love yeah. hearing that sort of praise, but... Yeah. You know, I mean, you guys probably know more about campaigns during award seasons than the average person. And I'm curious to hear what Peter has to say, because, Peter, you work for a studio. Well, I do. I mean, like, um, although, I mean, Rocky and uh, Bond, which is probably MGM's two biggest things, those aren't super big Oscar-like things. Um, well, although, back in the day, Rain Man, like, that was huge. Silence of the Lambs. La- la- I'm not denying the fact that there are studio films um, not made for a day. It's for now, like today. Sure. <laughs> you know what? Well, you know what's interesting, though? I will say I just watched um, that Harvey Weinstein thing on HBO. It's called Untouchable or something like that. Hulu, and I believe. They, they, what is it? Hulu, I believe it's on. Oh, Hulu, sorry. And they go into like how the the the, the two Weinstein's they really cultivated of like they really created a certain type of like Oscar film like like for what you know I guess that's like uh, basically the '90s and mid 2000s like it was a long time. Yeah, I mean they yeah feel- you're not you're not wrong as far as yeah. how a lot of expectations are shaped around how they would especially. Specifically, Harvey. Uh, like Bob was doing dimension stuff. <laughs> like, Bob's the genre guy. <laughs> right. I feel like I feel like we're we. I don't. Yeah, we are in a weird time now with like because I I feel like I feel like before what we would think of as like indie movies. When if you look at the the top, the five movies nominated or whatever, they're mm-hmm. not necessarily like they could. So, yes, there probably has always been a thing where it's like. Won the Pulitzer Prize. It has all these big actors. It's a big director. That's probably true. That that probably has already existed. I I don't know though. I do feel like we are kind of in an interesting time in the last ten years. I think that you know not just because of like Oscars, not just because of like campaigns like Oscars so white and stuff, but like I do think that what the Academy maybe or maybe it's that the Academy is very aware of what they nominate and what they don't. You know, which is maybe why they pushed for the it was the 10 after the year of the dark Knight, right? When they moved it to 10. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, so, so now Fury road, which of course, you know, one of my favorite movies of the decade. Um, I personally, I think it's kind of cool that we're in a thing where it's like the movie, like the gold Finch, maybe that's not necessarily supposed to just be an Oscar movie. And Hey, maybe it's this movie that's really pretty critically acclaimed, but yeah, I guess it's a genre movie. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe Oscar films, sort of try to avoid what we would think of as genre movies whereas something like this is like a prestige movie uh what's it, what's the one with benedict cumberbatch the computer uh the imitation, imitation game, game. Like, that feels like gold even though i think it's a better movie that feels like of course it gets nominated you know or the one about uh hawking it's like of course the theory of everything i'm not saying that the results have been that because yes you're not wrong because of basically because of increased diversity and a younger crowd when it comes to the academy's voters 
there have there has been a kind of a breach as far as what we're seeing break into these big award not just technical categories but best picture nominees um and i'm not just saying like black panther or marvel or you know that like mad major massive blockbusters but the movies that like something like district nine where it's like that's a like wow that's a best picture nominee okay or like i don't know winter's bone or the kids are all right apparently 2010 is what i'm thinking of right yeah now. i was <laughs> like I mean... why are you really stuck in this only <laughs> one I was thinking, era I was thinking of when it became i was thinking of when it became 10 nominees and those are yeah. movies that are you know, but like I'm not, yeah, I'm not denying that movies don't make it into that category, but it's still like the same kind of thinking happens every year. Like, you know, these kind of movies come out and you're like, you know, you get the headlines, like, check, get up, get the trailer out, check out the trailer for this latest Oscar contender. It's like, well, why is it an Oscar contender? Like, what? Yeah, that is Where... strange. I mean, maybe, I mean, obviously you can say whatever you want because you're the studio that's pushing all this, all this marketing, right? Um, so you're just trying to build buzz and also but trying to build. It's not even the studio. What I'm saying is, it's. It's the pundits. It's the people that write about this. It's the various web film websites or the awards websites that make automatic like assumptions. What? You mean like us? No, not like us. Like the no, like actual sites that write about movies every day, and you know the authors or whatnot that make their predictions. And their predictions seem to be entirely based off. Well, this is how it's been, so this is how it should be, as opposed to evolving to be like, you know what? This you know random quirky character comedy. This needs to be an Oscar contender because it should be. Why like why should I use that language for this movie but not for this movie? And I oh, think we're too I think we're too stuck on being like well. You know, there's a bunch of rich white people and they have troubles, so probably an Oscar winner. Like, that's it's just like that seems to be the case all the time. Yeah, I mean, this is a very deep question because this also goes back to uh, sort of tangentially related is who should host the Oscars. And again, I was on the boat of like, I like that there was no host. And then I think you were on the boat of, well, I like a host because if I'm going to watch it for three and a half hours, I might as well get some fun out of it. But yet it's like deemed as Oscars biggest night and it's like the most prestigious thing. And so you have these jokes that are being made. It's like, well, you know, if you're just trying to go straight for the, the real dramatic stuff of things then just have no, no host, you know? So. Yeah. 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 I would agree. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, he, I know we got, we went on a big tangent here. I know. Yeah. What, <laughs> so but I, it's, it's, it's fair because like what you're saying here, I was also hearing that sort of buzz for the goldfinch, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the trailers definitely make you feel as though, Oh wow, this is going to be a dramatic movie. My screening told me otherwise because again I said oh, there was like five people in my screening, um, but it's kind of a bummer. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why you you wouldn't say something like uh, uh, <laughs> you never say anything like oh watch out for uh, Oscar. I don't really know how you would phrase it, but for Spider Man uh, into the Spider Verse kind of thing, right? So it's like watch out for this prestige picture coming out in November. I don't know. Yeah. Although you know I. It's a weird thing because, like, why? I mean, like, it, it it's funny because if you would ask me ten years ago, I think I would. I think it's about ten years ago. Um, I think I was pretty eye rolly on The Blind Side, The Help, um, those kind of movies where yeah. I honestly felt like they're okay, but obviously the subject matter is something that it's it's the subject matter and and, and it's the it's that the subject matter is done in a way that's very palatable, especially for older Academy voters, even though the movie itself, it's like, yeah, it's fine. Like, but it's weird because I've started to wonder, like, and I, I hope that this might make me sound anti-filmy, which is not me at all, but do you think that sometimes there should, there should be a place for um, when you're nominating films that are like, then the Academy is like, this is the best picture of the year or whatever. It, maybe it's not always just supposed to be prestigious or like 
this is the best actor. This is the best. maybe for some reason it's like, wow, this movie. I mean, I guess like Green Book, even though I didn't really love Green Book, where it's just like, wow, that movie. A lot of people really like that movie, you know, or whatever. What, what are you asking though? What are you? What, what are you? I mean, I guess I. I guess I'm like because obviously I wanted Black Klansman to win, not Green Book, but like there is a part of me that's like. Yes, I want Black Klansman to win, not just because of like the politics and everything, but as a film fan, I think that what Spike Lee does is more interesting than the is it Peter Farrelly? Yes, only one Peter of Farrelly. them. Yeah, but but then I keep trying to think of like, look, the Academy Awards is like a billion people watch that thing if their ratings are good, and it's like a lot of those people are not film critics or even necessarily movie fans. They're just people who are like, oh, I like that movie. So I don't know. I'm like, if I say that, am I saying that? Well, I guess we're saying we should dumb it down a little. I don't know. Well, but, I, mean, I mean, to speak to that, I mean, if you're saying, well, I like that, but that, like, should that be enough? To, I mean, that sounds like a soccer trophy. Like, that doesn't sound like an Oscar to me. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, like, that, I mean, and that's, I mean, that was the whole fight about the po- best popular award Oscar. It's like, well, yeah, like, if you want an award for participating, take the money that you made at the box <laughs> office. Like, I like what that, that's what that's for. Like, and take the, you know, take the, take the grandmother's saying, you know what? I saw the nicest movie green book. It was wonderful. And I laughed. Like if, you, if that's what you're going for, that's one thing, but like sure. the Oscars should, I mean, there's, if you're asking for the, the currency of Oscar to downgrade, like, I mean, what's the point? And yes, that doesn't matter regardless because, you know, I know what movies I like, and I know what my top ten list is, and I know what my, you know, what eventually my top ten of the decade list will be, or what have you. That doesn't mean anything. Like that, to me, compared to the Oscars, that means nothing. It's nice to have, I guess, bragging rights as far as how Oscars go. But at the same time, if I'm going to put some stock in the value of an awards award being given to somebody, whether if it's an Independent Spirit Award or an Oscar or a Tony or a Golden Globe or an Emmy, I feel like it it shouldn't just be because you know because a group of people, you know, a large group of people were pretty satisfied with something. It should be because it represents what we think is the best. Well, okay. Well, wait. well to play again, to play advocate here, a devil's advocate here. Like, I mean, I've heard this for years though, with people I know that are, they either say they're movie fans, but they sort of are, or they're just mainstream people. Like, I mean, I'm sure Abe and Aaron, you've had this. What about what I guess a lot of them perceive as like kind of an imposter syndrome thing where, English Patient wins Best Picture of the Year, and what we think of as mainstream moviegoers, they look at that as like, oh, there's no way Aaron really likes that movie. He's just saying that because he wants to. He wants to sound smart with all those other critics. That are, I don't even know if you really like English Patient, but I'm just using that as an example. I've seen it once and it's fine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you know what I mean, like. No, I know what you mean. I mean, but yeah. that's a different conversation because you're like you're just assigning feelings that you think that doesn't reflect the actual person's opinion or what actually happened. That's just you blindly saying, "Well, it probably happened this way because this." Like that, not backed up by anything, but just by but I have a sneaky, I have a hunch. But <laughs> if you're the Academy and you are, you know, televised for streaming now for a billion people. You probably don't want that as the, t- you know, you want people. Well, that's, I mean, but Peter, that's the point of the ceremony. It doesn't matter who wins. The, the draw of it should be like, look at all, you know, it's Hollywood's biggest night. All of these celebrities are here. We're going to yeah. have fun presenters coming up on stage. You're going to see clips from all these movies. Some of the, some of which you've seen, some of which you might not have seen. Ideally, you'd watch those movies too, because yeah. they're here. So they meet, that must mean something to people. That's what people <laughs> want to come see. They want to see the spectacle of it all. Whoever wins, like that's a fun component as well, but that should reflect who deserves it not a matter of yeah like, well i mean which one feels the most popular totally and and that, we're kind of like open up a can of worms here because that gets into why the whole entire anonymous hollywood reporter thing is is fun 
because then you start realizing that yeah like what you're to your point Aaron some of these people haven't seen the other best picture nominees and they're just like I like Viggo Mortensen and right. like that's uh, that's wild we should all say by the way we did like Green Book it's yeah, fine. yeah I, like, I, I, I don't think it's best yeah, picture yeah, but I, we that's like, just I, the thing that came to mind no I know I know I just want people to get like you know for people that are obviously really tuned in for this Goldfinch conversation because they all saw it this weekend <laughs> I want them to know that the, the Green Book was fine like, yeah not, it was like, fine not, yeah. Yeah. or or something like let, let's say like you know oh uh, I'm gonna vote for Philomena because Jane Beauty Dench was in it that that's a better example right it's like yeah, but that movie. I was like, I really like Villain a lot, but yeah, I know, what you, I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like, wow, this is wildly absurd that you know, it's not winning based on merit; it's winning based off like what Peter said too, the politics of it all. That's why some of these Weinstein things were so that he's so aggressive in his, he was so aggressive in his campaigning for these for his movies, right? So it's really crazy. Just uh, you know, some some of the best movies that uh, people have not seen will never be nominated, and that's why I think that it is important for things like the independent film spirit awards to exist and also round tables to exist. And, you know, one of the, one of my favorite movies from last year was the writer and that got like no acclaim whatsoever. And it's one of the, it, it's a movie that should be impossible to make, you know what I mean? And, and yet here it is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen in my life. But there's a thing, Aaron uh, or um, Abe, sorry, <laughs> where uh, as we brought up earlier under the skin, that might be my favorite movie of the decade. Um, but I don't think I got any Academy like, nominations or anything no, it wasn't an Oscar contender, but i mean it's certainly a critical favorite it is a critical favorite and i and i do appreciate that i guess the circle that i think i'm i'm in or whatever loved it too but i mean it's not that big of a deal to me that it didn't get oscar nominations like i wouldn't mind just like you with would you say the movie's the writer is that what it yeah is? the writer yeah. yeah but i mean but then i hear on the other side i hear people often complain about movies that are very just big mainstream movies and they're just like, ah, the Academy never likes these things. It's all lame or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, but you could still like the movie. It's fine. Like, I don't know why I can, I, I don't, I don't know. It's strange. Uh, like, I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah. Aaron, this is your soapbox. Cause uh, we should close out the segment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this has been Aaron's soapbox moment. <laughs> I, I mean, there's no solution here. It's just yeah. something I want to point attention to. Like, cause they, I mean, it's as small of a corner as I occupy in the universe. I, I, and I, I know I'm not alone in saying this thing no, as not. far as the kind of movies that we tend to put on a pedestal just because versus the kinds of movies that don't get on that pedestal and really have to work twice as hard to earn it. And I find that to be a shame, especially because of, the kinds of movies that tend to be on that pedestal. You know, it's easy to draw various comparisons to how society works or what have you, but it's it's not un it's, it's not unfounded. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, and here as we are. Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean said in Moneyball, one of my favorite movies, it's an unfair game. There you go. Yeah. Absolutely. So, with all that out of the way, when should people go and see the Goldfinch? I would say I mean it's funny because I have people on I have friends who've read the book and love the book, and then they were like, oh, I can't wait to see it. They might just go see it anyways. But I, I mean, honestly, I think Netflix is fine. I think streaming's fine. Like, I, even though Deacon's photography is nice, I don't think it's some... Um, even if I were to love the movie, I don't necessarily know if it screams big screen, and, big screen right. entertainment. You know, Something, unless, we didn't yeah. Something we didn't talk about is that, I mean, for a 700-page novel with all this stuff going on and the popularity of these things I'm about to mention, miniseries. I mean, that seems like that probably could have been a, a way to go. Yeah, yeah I, maybe. Which is why yeah. my recommendation would be HBO. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, if you're gonna watch this, watch it in chunks. It may, it might not add up to anything more than I found in watching it in two and a half hours, but you know, that's an option. Watch it on a plane. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, if you want to sleep. Oh, like, yeah, I was like, I think you'd just be frustrated on the plane. You can't go anywhere. <laughs> but uh, to Aaron, to your point there, in terms of like watching it in chunks and not really getting anything from it still, that's where I'm going to say, which is like, you don't really need to see this movie. This movie is not going to add any value to your life and you're not going to miss anything out from not watching it because it's basically a whole bunch of like, you know, nonsense. And that's unfortunate for me to say, because I don't really like to give that rating per se, but you're nothing. You're, you're missing nothing. All right. Well, with all that out of the way, let's move on now. Let's uh, let's get to what time is it? Aaron, it's time for a quick game here. Very fun. That's actually uh, the tune box that plays when you look at the goldfinch in the museum. <laughs> it's very apropos. <laughs> I've got a game for you guys this week. It's called Adapted for the Screen, the Goldfinch Edition. Uh, essentially, uh, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to, uh, it's actually on a scale of, but, uh, I'm going to, uh, do, uh, I'm going to name a movie. And if you could tell me the Metacritic score, uh, of this movie that has been adapted from book to screen. And if you're closer then great, no prices, right rules. You can't go over, but whoever's closer to the actual score from Metacritic for these movies that have been adapted from books to the screen will be the, uh, we'll get the point. So Metacritic is the scale of we're going Metacritic with. is the scale of, yes. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay, cool. First one here, 12 Years a Slave. Uh, Peter, what do you think 12 Years a Slave got? Metacritic, uh, 88. Okay. And Aaron? Damn, that's a good solid guess. I will go 90. <laughs> it is 96. So Aaron, you get that point. Nice. 96? 96 on Metacritic. Wow. Yeah. I always think that. Metacritics usually scores lower than Tomatoes, so that's why. Well, when it come, well, it, what helps is that Twelve Years a Slave was a highly acclaimed film. So. No, it was, it was, yeah. Um, wow, okay. you're not wrong. No, I wouldn't have been surprised if you said like seventy nine. Like I would have, yeah. Seventy nine. I'm just saying, I wouldn't, I would not have been surprised. Got it. I mean, I knew it was wrong because I got it right, but I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, the next one here, Gone with the Wind, uh, Aaron. Um. That was a book. Um, uh, um, <laughs> I'll just just for medic. I'll just. I mean, people that have logged reviews and put like. I'll just say ninety eight. Ninety eight and uh, Peter. Ninety nine. I mean, it's gone. Ninety nine. You guys uh, will split the difference here. It's ninety seven. Ha. So oh. I'm going to wait off. Split the difference. I said ninety eight. It's I'm closer. Yeah, he's closer. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I thought for whatever reason Peter said ninety six. Yeah, Aaron, you're, you're you get that one. Split sorry. <laughs> Uh, next one here. I was like, 97 goes in between 98, right? No, it doesn't. Um, Gone Girl. Peter, what do you think Gone Girl got on the Metacritic scale? Gone Girl. 72. 72. And Aaron? I'll say 80. I think it was a little higher. It was 79. Ooh. Oh, he's so close. Damn it. Yeah. Pretty good. Aaron, you're pretty good here. Aaron's like... I'm I'm pretty good at Rotten Tomatoes. Metacritic, I'm always shady on, so... This is why I choose it. (laughs) Uh, next one here. Twilight, the first book. Uh, Aaron, what do you think Twilight got? Oh, wait, the film, the film though. Yeah, 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 the film. But I'd be curious what the book got. Book. If the book's on there too. The book is not. <laughs> on um, but uh, you checked? <laughs> no, I haven't. But Aaron, what do you think Twilight the movie got? I think the first. I don't think the first. I mean, I don't think it was like trashed in the same way the other ones. So I'm gonna say like 45. <laughs> you don't think it was trash, but you gave it less than fifty? <laughs> well, because well, well, trash, but like, tra- like forty-five is still like yellow a Metacritic, where as opposed to red, uh, okay, like, like right. thirty and below is red, if I'm not mistaken, or like thirty-five and below, I think. So. All right, uh, Peter, fifty-five. 
56 is the answer. Peter, you're on the Pussy, board. Like, nice. Look, look, look at me. <laughs> the next one here, The Godfather. Uh, Peter, what do you think The Godfather got in Metacritic? 100. Who would say no to The Godfather? Okay. Like, Your answer is 100? Okay. Uh, Aaron? By default, I will say 99. It is 100 exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Last of the Mohicans. Aaron, what do you think The Last of the Mohicans got? I will find you. Um, Did he win anything for that movie? No. No, but yeah. it's an awesome film. Yeah, Michael Mann, um, and also the score is fantastic. Danny Day-Lewis, Wes Studi. Uh, that yeah. movie rocks. Um, what do you think it got? 74. Okay, and Peter? 84. It is 76. Aaron, you get that. Boom. Yeah. Killing this. Next <laughs> one here. Holes. Uh, Peter, what do you think Holes got? This is the Shia LaBeouf movie. Oh, I do like that movie. Uh, Honey Boy uh, sounds great, by the way. I'm really looking forward to seeing Honey Boy. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard great things. And also, he looks like... I mean, that... It looks like he's going to be a really good dramatic actor in that movie, so I'm looking forward to it, too. That that first shot, though, of what's his name? Um, the kid from uh, Ferrari vs. Ford? Is he in that too? No, He's... not the not not the boy, the adult oh. for like the what's his name? Luke Hedges. Peter oh, Hedges. Lucas Hedges. Yes. Lucas Hedges. I was like Hedges. Lucas Hedges. That first shot of him on like a transformer set where he's on the wire and he like and he goes, No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. this already looks perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh holes, Peter. Uh eighty. Okay. Uh Aaron. So I'll say sixty five. It is seventy one. Uh-huh. And Peter, you get that point. That means I'm a little closer, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Next one here. Hold on. 65? What'd you say it was? It's 71. What what, what did Peter say? 80. Oh, no, then he wins. Oh, wait, it's nine. How does math work? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That's two mess-ups today. Yeah. You know, as the eighth annual Summer Movie Gamble champion, I think I know a thing or two about adding things up. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, uh, five. Or, I mean, six versus nine. Yeah, so my bad. Uh, Next one here. Jurassic Park. Uh, Aaron, what do you think Jurassic Park got? 88. Okay. And Peter? 93. 93. Uh, Aaron, you get this one. It was 68. Mm, what? Yeah. I know. Wait. Uh, see, I'm not surprised. I, I know it got a lot of like three-star reviews. Like, yeah. I, it, here, it, here's, like... uh, here's a negative review from Kenneth Turan of the LA Times. Uh, all the imagination and effort, including 18 months of pre-production that went into making the dinosaurs state-of-the-art and exciting... Uh, apparently left no time to make the people similarly believable or involving. In fact, when the big guys leave the screen, you'll be tempted to leave the theater with them. Thanks, Kenneth. Wow. No, I like. I, I know it's grown into being coming like a quote-unquote modern classic to an extent, but I, I, I remember like it wasn't like out of this world like praise. It was like, yeah, it, it's a fun summer movie. That's like a lot of the review. Like Ebert's is a three-star review. Like it's not none of them got like. I mean, I'm sure there are four stars out there, but like I know it wasn't like nailing it yeah. as far as the critics go at when it i was surprised when i found that out too i mean it's fairly uh it's kind of uh okay but yeah i love that movie so right. let's go faster let's go faster next question <laughs> next question eat pray love peter what do you think eat pray love got uh 52 okay and aaron i'll just say me haven't seen um 40 it is 50 so mm. peter you get that one i'm really really hitting it with the uh <laughs> These certain types of mediocre. Yeah. Uh, so with the romantic films, you got yeah. Twilight, you got this. Movie. <laughs> you might get this one near. The next one is Atonement. Aaron, what do you think Atonement got? 
Great wait, score. Wait, 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 what is it? Atonement. Atonement. Oh, one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, right. Great score in that film. Um, yeah, great direction. I, yeah, Joe Wright. Good, good job. Uh, a big Dunkirk scene in that film. Um, that movie, when I saw it, and I was like, that's going to win Best Score at the Oscars. And my roommate was pissed off because he chose a different film when he bet on the Oscars. Um, <laughs> let's see. Atonement, I will say 70. Okay. And uh, Peter? Uh, 78? Like, yeah, somewhere around there. Okay. It is 85. Peter, Ooh. you get that one. Okay. Uh, this is a negative review from The New Yorker, Anthony Lane. You have to admire it when so much of the competition seems inane and slack, but you can't help wondering, with some impatience, what happened to its heart? Uh, I'd have to disagree with that. But last one here. Silence of the Lambs. Peter, what do you think Silence of the Lambs got? Oh, 100? <laughs> like, well, wow, okay, all right. Like, are, you, are you going for 100? Okay, I'll say 98. 98. And Aaron? 96. 96. Aaron, you're closer. It's 85. Ooh, what? okay. Yeah. Negative review from Gene Siskel. Bill does one of the most frightening, depraved films ever made. Would that it were so. Instead, this is this is a case of too much ado about nothing. Uh, I do I, remember that because I've did their reviews on YouTube. You could watch him <laughs> give a thumbs down while Ebert's like, you are wrong. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to side with Roger Ebert here. <laughs> Uh, Aaron, you ran away with this game uh, 74, but Peter, good good job on the uh, the romantic comedies and the wolf films. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for that game, Abe. Yeah, you're welcome. Let's move on now. Let's get to some out-and-out feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback! This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash out podcast. We asked a number of questions to listeners. They gave us answers, then they gave us some questions that we could give answers to. So, with all that said, here's the first question. What's a book-to-film adaptation you enjoyed for how faithful it was, or which did you not enjoy? Scott writes, To Kill a Mockingbird was very true to the novel. I hated Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy film. Love the book series. Justin writes, The Martian, It's it was meh and being faithful. I had many issues, but still liked the movie. Okay, so the, no, the novel he didn't like, but the movie he did like. Mm-hmm. Emma writes, Interview with the Vampire is a movie I love, but it strays so far from the original story that you could say they were two different stories. The same can be said for The Queen of the Damned, Dumpster Fire, that had nothing to do with the book. <laughs> the soundtrack for The Queen of the Damned was amazing, though. And Ali is in the movie. Yeah. I assume she was on the soundtrack. So. <laughs> uh, Richard writes, I really thought The Martian was a good adaptation, adaptation that even added a button scene at the end of the book did that did not have that didn't make the ending better but more satisfying i agree with patrick's comment coming later on that ender's game was disappointing i like bits of the film but for a book i reread every two years that i absolutely love they missed the mark with the adaptation of film also constantine was a bad adaptation but loved the movie and keanu was amazing in it but that had very little similarities with the source material would have been a great flick just calling him john and leaving the source material out of it Hmm. interesting chris writes yep to kill a mockingbird is awesome also train spotting and life of pi he all, uh, yeah, uh, and that he adds Maze Runner, mostly second and third was pretty terrible, and The Dark Tower also Dreamcatcher. Mm. And Patrick adds uh, Ender's Game book was certainly better. Cool. Uh, first one that comes to mind is Cloud of the Chance of Meatballs. They overcompensated. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, and the other one that I really like uh, from book to film. Oh, I forgot the answer already, but it'll come to me later. 
I think I talked about this before, but Apocalypse Now, I saw that movie before I realized it was an adaptation of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, this is awfully familiar as I was watching that movie for the first time. Um, Oh, Jurassic Park, sorry. Yeah, Yeah, it's very faithful. And there's, it actually blends two books together kind of thing. um, But still, it's very good. Uh, And lastly, uh, man, what what was, uh, it's it's a modern day Emma adaptation Sense and Sensibility? No, Clueless. Oh, Clueless. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that's actually a really good Emma adaptation. Because yeah, there, there was Emma and Clueless. Both came out within like a year of each other. So. Yeah, like one of the playing Emma. Yeah, Emma Thompson yeah. wrote it. I think she won an Oscar for it. Wow, mistaken. good job. But Clueless is actually a super solid uh, adaptation of Emma. Uh, Peter? You know, it's funny. I would say, wait, are we saying what is like, it's too faithful and I don't like it, and then... No, what, just say, I, I mean, it's more a question of like what are your favorite book book to film adaptations, but I, would, if well, I, I guess I feel like I can answer this in the same series. Like, I've grown to like the first two Harry Potters, but honestly, I think that they're they are very audiobooky. Like, they're very literal. Like, that's the book, you know. Like, this is what ha- this is what happens. This is the characters, you know. But Columbus did a good job with the world building and the casting of the actors. Yeah. Where Prisoner of Azkaban does there's a lot taken out uh from the book and that's like one of my favorite harry potter movies so like yeah. I, like it's way more of a visual movie so it's so in that if, within that series i think you have an example of like being too literal and then a filmmaker actually being like okay here's how i would you know do this or whatever that's a great example yeah yeah cool all right uh next question that we asked everybody is uh, what dramas feature some of your favorite cinematography? Scott writes Robert uh, Krasker's noir look in The Third Man and Odd Man Out, Conrad Hall for The Road to Perdition and In Cold Blood, lastly, Greg Tolland for Citizen Kane, and Stephen writes The Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, the, 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 the In Cold Blood shout-out was, is terrific. I mean, that's a that's a wonderfully made movie, um, and the black-and-white cinematography is spectacular in that. And yeah, Conrad O'Hall, like, I mean, he was a terrific cinematographer. I mean, The Road Perdition, which I believe is his last movie, yeah, he, he knows what he was doing. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot of, like, period, like, big prestige, like, period films are usually pretty well shot. Like, I'm I mean, just thinking, like, if there's anyone that, like, stands out to you, is like, if I think about cinematography, this is a movie I jump to, I guess is kind of the question. I'm... I mean, actually, I do, along with the score, I do actually like the, I do, I like most of Joe Wright's movies. I, I, I really like, yeah. actually, say, I'll say this, while I, I really like Atonement overall, like, photography, the score, and everything, I really like the visual invention of, um, no, the movie's not perfect, uh, the one he did with um, Kira, what is it, Anna? Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Yeah, Aaron and I love the visual yeah, aspects of that movie. We were less so on the movie, but yeah, yeah. the visuals I mean, were pretty There's terrific. a beautiful dance sequence, which is well done, and the horse racing sequence that's done on stage, it's, like, it's crazy. It's, it's... Yeah, so that's kind of a cool visual aesthetic. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if we're putting that for art direction or cinematography. I don't know. But like that that left an impression. I believe it won for production design, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh, yeah, like, but because it did have like a, it, it, it had a really interesting presentation. I remember that for sure. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything to add, Eric? No. Okay. Next question is uh, who are your who are the worst movie dads? Michael writes Peter McAllister. He forgot his kid twice. <laughs> <laughs> Scott writes, well, if it's a stepdad, there's uh, Hugh Humbert Humbert in Lolita. <laughs> The Peter McAllister, they made me laugh when I read that earlier. 
Worst movie dads. Worst movie dads. Well, I mean, uh, Luke Wilson is pretty terrible, and yeah, my my, my go to tends my my go to is probably going to be always Rodney Dangerfield and Natural Born Killers. <laughs> hey, give me some respect here. Yeah, except he's awful and like rapes his daughter. So I mean, it's it's you know yeah. it's not a good dad. He's, he's <laughs> that's the character is pretty awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, is that why she becomes a killer? But arguably, probably didn't help. Yeah, but, <laughs> but in terms of like bad dads, I mean, there's a lot of bad dads. Uh, Will Hunting's dad is bad. Make him choose the pipe. The, yeah, but the... we don't we don't see him. Yeah, I'm uh... trying to like where's a performance of a bad dad where you're like, no, oh, this guy sucks. Like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got one. I yeah, got one. hit it. I got one, and it's by an actor that I think most of us think of as a great kind of TV dad guy. Um, freaking Kyle Chandler in the Spectacular Now. Wow, that's a great yeah, choice. Yeah, that's uh, a <laughs> really man, good, good call. Get her. So, yeah, because yeah, that's one of those where, like, that, you know how it's like, oh, never go and meet your heroes. It's like, don't go see your dad. <laughs> yeah, he, and because it's Kyle Chandler, he's so... Friend of the show. Yeah. And he becomes like, oh, man, like, blows him off and everything. <laughs> he's so yeah. Yeah, it's, he's pretty bad. I mean, it's, in that one, you see why his mom left that dad right, absolutely and in yeah. this goldfinch movie i'm just like because luke wilson likes to gamble a lot well he does wait i mean just slap him no, he's a he is a bad person he's, a bad... <laughs> he's an alcoholic and he's a gamble at gambling and addict his son i mean like yeah but still cool. the portrayal of kyle chandler as bad dad i was like yeah don't stay with this guy well also it just works in that way of like that's so much how you would think a the, the weekend dad could be, but if you push the weekend dad too much, you see that he's really not made to be a father. You know, like that's what that's what I got out of spectac- spectacular. Now is that he has this like ver- yeah, he, like you said, it's like you have a version of him. Yeah, but <laughs> not to go too far off, but this speaks to how great Kyle Chandler is because he can play so many different shades of dad alone, and I, I mean he's just very <laughs> terrific in that. Shades <laughs> of dad alone. Well, I could think about that. Think about Manchester by the Sea. Think about Super Eight. Think about God, fucking Godzilla. He, I mean, he, play, he yeah. played a, he he played made, a variety of different kinds said. of dads, and I think yeah. he's very good in all of them. Manchester by the Sea. He's a great brother and a great dad, and she's like, dude, hurts me every time. That's what that's what I'm saying though. I mean, I think yeah, I know what you mean. Be yeah. Just playing dad roles Great. alone, let, let alone Friday Night Lights. I mean, there's we like should, a lot of. We things. should make this a category, like uh, uh, for an out now with Aaron and Abe award, best dad of the dad of the year. Yeah, what? dad of the year and mom of the year. Exactly. I'm surprised with with the uh, the kind of geeks that we are. I'm surprised none of us said Darth Vader, or is because we like Darth Vader. He came around. I mean. <laughs> He came around. He came around. (laughs) What? He saved his son. Am I wrong? He did, but Uh, I'd have to dig it. And all he he wanted to do. Wait, hold on, guys, shut up for a second. (laughs) Hold on, hold on here. I will. I will not take this besmirching of the man who murdered children. Okay, first off, he was young, but once he when he had his once he had a son. What did he do? Was he like, I'm gonna, I, I don't like my son anymore? Or was he like, I want to bring my son in, teach him the trade, take over, we can rule the galaxy? Like that's all he wanted. He just wanted to be with his, his kid and teach him how to rule the world and take over. He didn't even want Chief Palpatine over there anymore. He's like, we can take this old man. We can take the two of us together with our Skywalker blood. We can take him down in like three seconds. You just got to join me. Take my hand. That. Meanwhile, Luke's like. Okay, Dad, I'm going to join this scrappy crew of rebels who have no money and no real business plan after they destroy the Empire. I'm just no, going to no assume everything's going to work plan. out. 
Like, I know you're like all set here in your cushy Star Destroyer and you have everything going for you. But this band of group guys over here, they seem like they know what they're doing. That's where it's at. And I'm going to ditch myself into Cloud City. Like, okay, guys. Like, you know I how think Darth have, Vader. Like, October themed movie things. We should do it for fa- Father's Day, too, and Mother's Day, which is like, yeah, because this is a great, that's a great point. I, I was like, I never thought of it that way. I was like, you know, he's been a huge absentee father for like 20 something years. But he's not an absentee father. He didn't know his kid was alive. Palpatine because they, like, didn't wanna, they, they didn't want Luke to die. Yeah, is that Vader's fault? Was he like, I'm avoiding my son? Where he's like, I guess the, the Palpatine told me she died because of a broken heart. So I guess I'm going to have to take him at his word. <laughs> he didn't know he had a kid. Yeah, fair. Well, to be fair, but I mean, and then I, he didn't know he had twins. Right? Yeah, he's, he's, he, he was a double daddy. He didn't know that. <laughs> the belief, the That's what they call him, right? Fathers of twins, double daddies. <laughs> the belief that Obi Wan espouses is that at that age, because remember, Vader in Jedi is like older. At the young age, the Hayden Christensen, he would have saw his kids as a threat, and he would kill. That's why, right? I mean, so again, it's I'm not. I'm not. The reasoning is. That's regardless. The the fact is, Vader didn't know he had a kid until Empire, where where Palpatine's like, by the way, I think this might be the son of Anakin Skywalker. And you see in Vader's metal fit in his plastic face, he's like, hmm, okay. Like, <laughs> and so he's like, the whole movie, he's suddenly forming his own thing. He's like, oh, the guy told me I got a son, apparently. Maybe I can finally take old two-timing grandpa down, and we can rule the galaxy <laughs> together, father and son style. Like, I have to do whatever I need to now to yeah. get to him, which includes trapping his friends, torturing Han Solo, and kidnapping, <laughs> and, and, and uh, ruling over Cloud City in the in spitting in the face of Ability Williams in order to get him to go to this point. But I'm going to do it, and I'm going to freeze him, and I'm going to be like, come on, kid, we can make this work. <laughs> I, I also want to, you know, to echo your point here, there, there, has been, there have been two adorable Darth Vader, you know, with young Leia and young Luke books that have been published, and they are very good. Oh, those are adorable. Yeah, yeah. they are. Yeah. I'm just saying, guys. I mean, if you want to talk <laughs> about bad dads, I mean, sure, outside of the fatherhood part, Vader's not a very nice guy. He kills his <laughs> off. He's, he kills his own officers. He's he's assisting in the blowing up of planets. He's, he's, he's getting into TIE fighters and taking down gold and red leader left and right. Like, sure. There's some there's some blood in his hands. Let's be honest. But as far as a father okay. goes, we're gonna we're gonna I'm writing a note down. We're gonna revisit this during either uh, uh, July or yeah May the fourth uh, or Father's Day. We'll revisit this topic. I mean, start when episode nine comes out. We'll have to we'll have the commentary for Revenge of the Sith. Like we'll be able to go over this all over again. Wait, Next so we... question. Spoilers for our December plans for commentary tracks. <laughs> I'm oh, just... next question. Yeah. Okay, back to this. What are your favorite films about kids getting into trouble? <laughs> what kids? What? 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 Kids getting into trouble. Uh, uh, Mary writes The Goonies. Catherine writes The Breakfast Club. Stephen writes Three Ninjas. Great not Knuckle Up. Uh, <laughs> Justin writes Outsiders. It and West Side Story. That's a good. I like that. I like that combination of answers. Actually, <laughs> well, wait, Outsiders. Wait. It and West Side Story. Yeah, that's kids getting into trouble. <laughs> do you mean kids just getting getting over their heads, or do you mean like? The parents are mad. Like Breakfast Club is, they literally got in trouble. So they're. I, I make. I, let, let me let me clue you in on this, Peter. I make these questions kind of vague on purpose because I oh. want to hear a variety of different kinds of answers. So choose to <laughs> yeah. interpret it the way you do. So I was like, eh, um, hmm, what would count? Oh well, I mean, recently, I, I guess I like Booksmart, and I and I also I didn't mind. What was the other one with the kids? Is that Good Boys or whatever? Yeah, uh, yeah, they just came out like a month ago. Or something I, mean, I really like Booksmart, but I even liked. You know, good boys. Like those are kids. Those are little boys getting into trouble. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. I mean, how old is Tintin? Twenty fourteen. Twenty. 
No, no, no. How old is 20, his character? 2013. He's a... I, I mean, he's not... He's is he like a teenager, or is he, like, early 20s? Let's say... Because he looks like he's 13. Tintin's 2011, by the way. What am I thinking? Um... Uh, I would say late teens is probably my okay, guess. Okay, because he's playing with guns, and I was like, like no, I, he's I would say he's like, he's, I mean, I think he's the same as like Peter Parker is on like an average generality of what you expect got as far it, as yeah. like he works okay. for the newspaper, but he's still kind of young. Like, okay, kind of got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because he does have his own apartment, so you know, yeah, it's it's weird. and his own dog. I mean, he's a father <laughs> in his own what? right. <laughs> Good theme. I see the theme emerging. Do you have a Do you have an answer? Um, kids getting into trouble. Dope. How about that? That's a great. That's a great answer. That's another one where it's like, "Hey, man, if you want to live your life as a fake, go ahead." Because it's no, hard that's to what tell. I thought you were referencing when you mentioned that. Um, I anyway. was not, but that's a great callback. So right. callback, callback, callback. What's next? Next question: What are your favorite films about art? Justin has Thomas Crown Affair and Big Eyes. Good, good choices. Yeah, great choices there. Films about art. I mean, Pollock is actually pretty solid. Pollock's great. It's it's very depressing at some points, and also you know, I, I feel as though. Ed Harris being uh, Jackson Pollock, it's kind of just like sometimes it's real Ed Harris because he's he's a very like intense guy. I don't know if you guys have seen that one outtake of him in The Rock where he's just mad that he can't remember his line. But oh, Ed Harris is Pollock's... great. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, he's he's on the commentary track for that movie. Like, oh, he is. About, like, yeah. Wait, I kinda what's, said, wait uh, what's the movie with The Rock and Ed Harris? No, The Rock, the, the rock. movie The Rock. Michael Bay's The Rock. <laughs> sorry, I was like, what? Okay, sorry. A, if you if you watch like some of the outtakes on YouTube, Ed Harris is mad at himself because he can't remember one of his lines. And I was like, that's probably just like really him. You know, he's really channeling that for Jackson Pollock. Because he's like a he's one of those old school guys. He, he, I don't think he necessarily owes method, but he certainly like gets into character. Yeah, which is why so he's pretty. A great it's, it's a pretty intense thing. I have a few that I want to mention. Yes. Uh, first is Mr. Turner with uh, Timothy Spall. He got nominated for that, right? Or, he or didn't end up. He he didn't end up getting nominated for that. He okay. should have because he's very good in it. But that movie's two and a half hours long. He it's as slow as a snail. But I thought it was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the documentary "Exit Through the Gift Shop" mm-hmm. um, from Banksy, great, fantastic, uh, which is which is terrific um, for a variety of reasons. And I just had another one. I I didn't like love that Willem Dafoe Van Gogh movie, but I thought it was. I did think it was quite good, and I thought he was very good in it. Okay, I got one locked and loaded, uh, especially because it's Goldfinch uh, themed. I'm surprised you guys haven't brought up. Your yes. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright, Basquiat. Oh, okay. That's like the first time I think I ever saw him. And I was like, who's this guy? Like, um, and uh, that's early uh, Julian Schnabel, right? Who's also an yes. artist. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, actually, I've seen him a lot. That and I shot Andy Warhol. I also really just love that era, like, <laughs> which is also Pollock stuff. But yeah, I would say Basquiat. Like, that's one of my favorites. There you go. All right. The next question we have here, my thing froze up. Hold on. Um, what are some great films that cover over a decade of time? Christopher writes For the Boys, Dream Girls, and Forrest Gump. Graham has AI, Bicentennial Man, and Cloud Atlas. Stephen has Brokeback Mountain. Patrick writes his Interstellar Count. Yes, it covers over a decade of time. You filled the minimum requirement. Mm-hmm. And Kareen uh, has Once Upon a Time in America. A lot of great answers here. Yeah. I'll throw in The Godfather. Yeah. Uh, all three of them, or just the first? I mean, the first one covers over a decade. Like, I mean, I guess yeah. Part two does have the flashbacks, but I mean, the part one does like start early and ends late. Like, mm-hmm. it, like Al Pacino goes away to Italy, and comes back later. Like That's later. That's true. On. I mean, that yeah. takes two years. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, AI is one of my favorites. That's a really good pick. Right. Um, geez, what else over? Hmm, I can't think of anything. That's another like over ten years. Like. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what's a good one? Um, and I'm pretty sure it'd be 10. 
because I think he's a kid, and then he, it's three actors. Uh, Moonlight. That's ten years, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Those are my kids who are yeah. to adulthood. So, like, yes, <laughs> he's, he's at least like, Tra- Travante Rhodes isn't sixteen in that movie. <laughs> he's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's not Tintin with his own dogging gun, <laughs> right? Uh, so yeah, Moonlight. By the way, I I just want to espouse more love on Moonlight. I know that a lot of people love it, but that's that's a film that you can definitely watch like in film class and just dissect the shit out of it because there's so many things to there's so many layers to that movie. It's it's fantastic. Oh yeah, I know. I it's funny. I get into arguments with people at work who love La La Land more, and I like La La Land. I don't think La La Land sucks. There's no reason to pit them against each other. Yeah, I like La La Land a lot. I like Tint, I like yeah. It's just, I like Moonlight. I do like Tintin a lot. Yeah. I like Moonlight a lot as well. Yeah. They're, only, uh, yeah, they're, only, they're, they're very different. There's nothing to compare them to except for the fact that they came out in the same year. The same year. There's, no, there's they, nothing else beyond they that. They had That's, the Oscar guffaw. It's it's like the one like the one time the Expendables and Scott Pilgrim are to be mentioned in the same sentence is because they came out on the same weekend. There's no, I mean, there's no reason to compare the two movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I will say that I like the question about over uh, this over a decade because I I, I feel like a lot of mo- or at least what I think of as like what I think of as like modern movies. You were just saying this about Troy. Where you're like, it feels like it takes place in a couple of weeks. I feel like yeah. a lot of modern films, the action takes place in a very short span of time. Like, you know it, why? I, you want to know why? Go ahead. Because it's it's a studio thing. It's a, it's a mix of studio thing plus what screenwriters are taught. And you know, you need inciting incidents and have it wrapped up, have character arcs, and package it all in a neat little you know tidy thing. You don't get ambitious sprawling epics anymore. Like that's rare. It's rare. They win awards because they come out and they're like, yeah, this is like movies should be. Like like you can well, cover like about, things and deal deal with stuff. Is, um... Place Beyond the Pines. There's another good one. Oh, is Lawrence, oh yeah, that one's is, very long. Is Lawrence of Arabia over ten? It's years, right? It's a while. Yeah, it takes a good. I mean, it's an epic. I mean, it, it it tracks it tracks Peter O'Toole for a good chunk of time. If it's a decade or not, I'm not quite sure. But it's still like it feels like a movie that you know it's not over in a week. <laughs> like it's not it's not like you went to the desert like, well, that was a trip, and comes back. And like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, let me ride a motorcycle now. Everything's gonna work out. Yay! <laughs> Remember when he's like that at the beginning of the movie? Hey, I'm gonna ride my motorcycle. Yay! <laughs> Everything worked out. Um, it's funny because I actually really um. I can't wait for our three and a half hour commentary track for Lords of Arabia. It's, it's gonna be uh, no four and a half. It's re- it's it's re- yeah four and a half. It's, it's very gonna peak movie. right at the. It's gonna peak in those opening ten minutes. Though, guys. <laughs> Check uh, that motorcycle. I feel like it's funny because actually I I really like a lot of movies that take place over a huge span of time, and I also like movies that take place in like twenty four hours. Like do the right thing, where it's like it's all oh, in this yeah. one day. I mean, that, I mean, in terms of what you're speaking to, there's nothing wrong with how much time a movie takes to tell a story. But as far as why you see a lot of movies that like something like like Game Night, for example, which I know a lot of people are high on. I was less so, Peter. I think you liked even less than I did. Yeah, but it's a, it's the kind of movie where you're telling a story that takes place mostly in maybe two days, and mm-hmm. within that time, you have characters that start a problem with their significant other, uh, go through a significant character arc, wrap it up, and everything's happy by the end of it. It's yeah. like that realistically never happens. There's no world where you can tie up everything going on in your life that's important as far as having a baby and whatnot, which is what Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams are going through. No, no world is that going to be wrapped up within the 24-hour period. But that's, in a studio well, film, that's what happens. Yeah. It feels generic. It doesn't feel natural in any way. You're right, but it's I just something that. like what you guys really love, which is good time, where it's like, oh wow, this is like what good time's span, like. That's the span of like twenty four hours, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, it takes place yeah. in like less than a day and throws you into this world yeah. and like has something to do, but it's not about but telling not a you in a whole film. story of a character. It's just like this guy's in a position and it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's, it's true though, I'm just thinking though, aren't most classic great movies about adolescence very short 
it's it's either a day like super bad, right? Where it's like we got to get to this party, or it's maybe the summer where in yeah, but, the summer there's a transition like that. But you're talking, but but that comes down to stakes at that point. Where something like super bad or dazed and confused, it's not like they figured out everything and everything's going to be this way. They have an answer to a thing that's been bugging them, and it comes to a head at this specific time in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but was Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah? They've had this unspoken thing about how they're going to college and they're going to different colleges or whatnot, and they don't yeah. know exactly how it's going to work out. And that's been building and building before this movie even started. This movie just happens to show you when they're finally confronting that. Like, that's not an arc. That's just like a, we're talking about this now, guys. Right, like, this that's what's happening. This particular slice of life here. Yeah, it's, uh, exactly. Slice also, of life is the perfect way. Yeah, I'd, I'd add in Boyhood. But boyhood, there you go. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Boyhood, that's, yeah, that's a lot of time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but let's right. get to the question that the uh, yeah our, our seventh asked. hour of e- out now feedback is beginning here <laughs> feedback 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 uh, Adam from the show writes I'm curious about something I've always wondered for a long time how do you two and Peter stay so fit and trim <laughs> one of my favorite questions of all time I genuinely love this question Adam thank you for writing that in <laughs> I try to to eat right I just bought a whole bag of broccoli flowerettes. And uh, I've been running more recently, so I'm trying to get back into it, sir. I've been eating more salads. There you go. You asked this after I was just at a wedding where I ate terribly. (laughs) That's a wedding you're celebrating. I mean, I I actually did just, I actually did this year. What request did you make to the Godfather, though? (laughs) Right, exactly. Like, I actually did start uh, a gym this year, but I don't know, I... Uh, Remember when this movie, when this episode was going to be like a tight two hours? They're like, let's keep talking about Darth <laughs> Vader and <laughs> decades and, of passive time. And fathers, time, yeah. And fathers and Oscar talk and whatnot. <laughs> so, Peter, you, you're a gym member now. I am, but I mean, yeah. I, I'm still not going anywhere near as much as I should. And Yes. Yeah, you're living the American dream then. So you bought a gym membership or you're not going to go. <laughs> no, here, Peter, let's, let's make a deal. You start going. And that's the end of it. That's the I didn't have a part. Of yeah, I was like, what's the other deal part? <laughs> that's, that's the that's the end of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right. Well, that was feedback. 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 Let's move on. Now. Let's get to out now. Presents what's out now. These movies that are coming out on 4K, Blu-ray, DVD, streaming, and all that this week. And we got a few things here. First up on 4K and Blu-ray this week, Dark Phoenix. Mm-mm, don't see it. Not uh, not very good. No. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joseph Kahn's Bodied. Uh, mm, I haven't heard of it. Has anyone seen it? I heard it was good. Babe, you didn't see Bodied? I thought you saw Bodied. Bodied? Yeah, the the That's Oakland the... rapper movie. No, no, I think you were telling me about it, but I haven't. I seen thought it. you saw it. No, you saw it. I know you. I know I saw it. I, I could have. I thought. I I remembered wrong. Apparently, well, it's quite yeah. good. I you dig it a lot. I think actually. Okay. But it it. I mean, it joined the. It wasn't as good as uh, Blind Spotting or Sorry to Bother You or Black Panther as far as the Oakland trilogy of films that came out last year. Yeah. Um, but but no, I, I I think it's very enjoyable for sure and it has some interesting things to say in a very like loud way of doing it as far as what it's getting at. Okay. Um, as far as the kind of rap culture and um, cultural appropriation, what have you. Um, also out the Velocipaster. Come again. The Velocipaster. It's about uh, a pastor who turns into a velociraptor. Oh, wow. Okay, all right. Um, I'll check out the trailer. <laughs> I mean, you, you're you a huge fan of Wolf Cop, so maybe this is right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have the, have the director on. <laughs> yeah. uh, on TV, we have Supergirl Season 4. Ooh, yeah. uh, Brandon. Uh, Brandon Peters, friend of the show. Yeah, gave uh, gave it four. I, I thought that was a fantastic. That, was like, that is probably the best for me, although I've not seen it all. Um, that's the best season that the, I guess, the DC characters have done on the CW. Although I, okay. I 
I checked out a flash about halfway through season two, but I mean like, so to be fair, maybe season three is great a flash or something, but like, I thought it was really good. I liked it all a right. lot. Cool. Okay. Lethal weapon season three. That's which I guess good is things about the season. I've never I believe it's any of them. I believe it's the, I believe it's the final season. If I'm not mistaken. Like, there you go. Canceled. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see on uh, specialty stuff. We have from Warner archive, my favorite year uh, from criterion polyester. The um, what's his name? Uh, John, Waters, John Waters, John, John, yeah, they got the pencil thin mustache. Yes, right. it's John, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, it's John. Yeah, okay, and uh, Clooney Brown. Um, that's Criterion stuff. And on Arrow, we have The Hills Have Eyes Part Two. Um, on Shout Factory, we have Biloxi Blues. There's a new hmm. Blu-ray out. And um, Find Me Guilty. This is the Cindy Lumet film uh, with Vin Diesel with hair. Uh, okay. Yeah. I just thought that was like oh, is it, a is curly hair. No, he has like it's like because he, he plays like Italian. He has like slick back hair. Got it. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see. New to streaming this week on uh, Netflix, we have The Eye Land. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've seen that on Netflix. I, I don't know what it's about, but it looks kind of interesting. It, yeah, it's got some people in there, and it's like losty, but also like some other elements in there, I guess. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. The Chef Show Volume Two. This is a new set of episodes of John Favreau and Roy Choi driving around and making great looking food and making me want to eat it right away. Yeah. Um, and let's see. Unbelievable. This is a new, supposed to be uh, new series of Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver. Um, at their, like, I believe they're like the same kind of cops as like SBU, like that kind of right. like realm of things. Yeah. Um, I think Caitlin Dever from a uh, book She's like one of the quote unquote victims. Huh. In the series. Got it. And, uh, and the mind explained, Hey! This, yeah, this is a new documentary series um, that goes over various aspects, various aspects of how the mind works, and it features none other than friend of the show and and, and uh, many time guest Al- Ali Matu, yeah. Doctor Ali Matu. Doctor Ali Matu. Yeah. Oh. Hey. Um, he completely surprised us by dropping his trailer online. We're like, what? You're in a Netflix series? Great. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I've checked out the first two episodes. One was on dreams, and the other was on, I think, memory, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. That's, That's very, it's very funny. Yeah, no, I was like, are you yeah. doing a bit right now? I wasn't trying to do a bit, but I'm trying to recall it because I'm the dream ones was seconds. So I can't. I'm trying to remember. You know, I'm just doing a whole bunch of stuff at the same <laughs> okay. time right now. But um, and I haven't actually seen Ali yet, so I look forward to seeing the episode that he's featured on. But it's actually, it's a pretty, it's like 20 minutes. It's a pretty neat show. It's as far or documentary series as far as just kind of giving you some fun explanations of things, lots of clips and lots of like, um, you know, various doctors and uh, psychiatrists and what have you explaining how different aspects of the mind works, and it's like all narrated by Emma Stone. So it's like mm. for Ali, oh, he's nice. part of like cool. a cool, like a high-profile Netflix, like because he's like the first person you see in the trailer. It's like wow, Ali's in this thing. That's great. <laughs> uh, on Prime this week we have Undone. This is a new um, rotoscope um, series. Oh, whoa, uh, what? Not, yeah, I heard it's good. Yeah, not not unlike Richard Linklater's films, *A Scanner Darkly* and *Waking Life*. This uh-huh. is a it's like a half hour series. Um, that's kind of I watched the first episode because I wanted to see what it's like, and it's 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 just so far I think it's building into some kind of kind of more fantastical elements to kind of make real big use of the rotoscope aspect. But for those that are not aware, road, like this process of like the style of filmmaking is where like basically they have the actors, they shoot scenes in various locations and sets, and then they draw over it. So it has a really unique effect where they all filmed it in live action, but mm-hmm. it just has an animated quality on top of it. Right. And it stars Rosa Salazar, who is an Alita Battle Angel. So I guess she's all in for like technology-based series at this point. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bob Odenkirk, I believe, is the other big star involved in it. He, she play, he plays her father. Um, cool. 
but it's kind of like a comedy drama ish. It's from the and it's from the creator of BoJack Horseman. That's the other thing. Oh, now I'm yeah. triply intrigued. Yeah. So that's up now. I have never seen BoJack Horseman. I love it. It's pretty good. Uh, it take, takes about three or four episodes to get into it, but keep with it. Yeah, I think, especially knowing you, Peter, I think if you, if you stick with it, you'll start to like it. But I think if you watch it at first, you'll be like, well, these are a lot of easy jokes. But I think you'll you'll, you'll see why it's gotten the acclaim it does as you yeah. go on. Right. All right. That's out. That's what's out now. Next week's show. Next week, we're talking Ad Astra, Ooh. the upcoming James Gray sci-fi film starring Brad Pitt. Get a try and have to check that one out in IMAX. Uh, Peter and I have seen the film. and In IMAX? Well, <laughs> I did not get to see it in a fancy screening in the uh-huh. same way that Lee Peter, you got to see it in a Dolby screening, right? I saw it wasn't. It, I don't think it's their. It's it was the AMC Dolby. So the, the picture quality is great. I don't think it was their IMAX size. No, it's not the right. You you yeah. saw it in the Dolby one. They yeah. had two options. Yeah, yeah, the visual. Yeah, it's still really great. Okay. Like regardless of thoughts on the movie, I would say seeing it in a premium screening environment was probably oh. a good idea. Yeah, okay. yeah, got sure. it. Yeah, yeah. And the last thing we do here, what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Peter, what should people see in theaters right now? Um, I really liked Hustlers, and uh, what else? What else is out? I mean, I feel like I've had a lot of people tell me they really lo- like, I guess you said Luke. I didn't love It Chapter 2, but I've had more people have been telling me they really liked it, so I don't know. But, but Peter, it's it. what pe- what's what you think people should go and see now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um... I don't okay. care what mom and pop <laughs> Smith down the streets. That's uh, a I name I thought of. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't think my I don't think my uh, my sleeper crawl is not playing anymore. So um, I guess I guess Hustlers. I thought Hustlers was really fun. I, I like it. Cool. What are you seeing next? God, what is next? Um, Rambo: Last Blood. Wait, what? I don't know. I haven't heard of any screenings of that. The next one I'm going to try to check it out. That was probably, uh, you know, uh, what did you say? JW? Uh, Joker. JW 2019, Joker Week. <laughs> so it's coming. Joker's the next one that I'm thinking of. Cool. Abe? I de- still definitely recommend going to see The, the Farewell. Um, I think it's only playing in like yeah. one time per theater now, but still go check it out. Uh, and then next, Ad Astra. I mean, yeah, if you can find some of these indies that we've spoken highly of, including The Farewell. Uh, among other films, uh, Once Upon a Time is still out there. Obviously, I'm going to keep recommending that. Uh, Monos, Butter Falcon is, that, is oh. a what? Sorry, is Monos out in theaters? Monos isn't. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Monos is in limited release. So okay. if you're in New York or LA, go for it. Yeah. Um, if it's not, if it's it's hopefully going to spread wider. So if you can find it, I, I certainly recommend. What I like because I know like some of these are like smaller, and it's like you don't necessarily need to drive out of your way to see it. But it's like. There's something unique about seeing a film like Monos, which is like filmed in such a unique way, and you want to like just have that environment around you as opposed to watching it on a screen at home. It just like totally. <laughs> I mean, the person that that I think about is a friend of the show, uh, Philip uh, Vandy Price, which mm-hmm. sometimes he has to drive out to a larger city to go see. Uh, he lives in Arkansas, by the yeah, way. Just, uh, and he's, that, yeah, and so it's like you know, if Philip will go see any movie that he hears great things about, uh, in general, he'll go see a lot of movies. But still, you know, it's not that we're saying don't go to the theater and don't go out of your way, but sometimes it's hard to get these movies to go to uh, more theaters. Speaking of Philip, by the way, not to shout out a guest that's not on the shout show, out. But, his, but his initial reaction show series, his YouTube series YouTube. that he does, um, it's, it's quite good because he gets a, like us, he gets a different guest every week, which is really cool of him to do, especially out in that area mm-hmm. uh, where you get, like he gets, but he gets various like journalists that write for newspapers or whatnot, along with other friends and film fanatics. But um, he did an it chapter two episode last week. It has a wonderful intro. Um, but I have to watch it. You got to check it out because it's very creative and very fun. Um, but yeah, all right, l- l- that's it. Let's let and I'm seeing Last Blood at some point. I don't know when, but I'll find <laughs> it. So, 
All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode about Now Out There and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeisgeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Find more fun stuff over my Instagram, abe.moo, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag. Hashtag. There you go. <laughs> Peter Paris, where, where can people find more of you? Uh, I'm currently writing uh, at Why So Blue, which is awesome. Um, I'm hoping to get get to some game reviews, but I have been trying to do weekly stuff uh, for theatricals, which is great. Um, and then I'm, yes, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram as Pajamo with an O. All right. You can find all the other episodes about now through internet on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, or HHWLOD. Feel free to email us any thoughts you might have had about dads or whatever else at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or Twitter.com slash underscore podcast. Send us some feedback. And, of course, our Instagram page. You can send us feedback there, too, I suppose. I don't know how Instagram works. I just like posting stories every now and then and little pictures. But that's at Instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. Uh, Peter, thank you very much for joining us this thank week. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, guys. Great. Of course. Yeah. It's even and, fun yeah. if the movie's not great. For, for sure. And with all that said, until we go outer space with Pitt, that's going to do it. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. Let's peruse the essentials of cool, a brief study of the things so instrumental to do that make me feel flyer than lobbies of double Jews. A disclaimer, just a rhyme, no credentials from the school. Now, let's peruse the essentials of cool, a brief study on the things so instrumental to do that make me feel flyer than lobbies of double Jews. A disclaimer, just a rhyme, no credentials from the school. In my fall of Rome jeans, my head porter wallet, my neighborhood shirt, and my 8010 class shit. My not go to college, but my street. Smart polish like the black fingernails of that punk rock logic through the knowledge. Man, you can't be punk from projects. Firm disbeliever in your punch clock promise. Was trading off my comics, I was taking them to school. One of Jay-Z boys, now I'm skating in your pool. Not to be rude, I'm just hating on your rules. Like a young 50, I'm on my world tour. Good morning, Singapore, I'm bringing the sun with me. From the Robert Taylor homes to Africa slum cities. I am American mentally with Japanese tendencies. Sensibility, so stay out the vicinity of Yeah, yeah, she love it over here It's just, yeah, yeah Now look at what I wear Got my gold watch and my gold chain With my fancy car and my diamond ring With my fancy broad and she full brain So it's no words and it's no slang And I'm no trick and I'm no lame It's just so slick that she's so game And it's, yeah, yeah, she love it over here It's just This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking The Goldfinch. There are no accidents, just happy little... Wait, what? We gotta do that over. This is probably some of the trailer for Goldfinch, which I don't recall, but I imagine it has to start with like a piano. Probably. It's like... And then something lines of like... When I was young... Do you remember seeing people in that room? Yes. What were they doing? They were dead. <laughs> Nicole Kidman looking regal, yeah, exactly. And then the goldfinch. All right. <laughs> <laughs>